Hey, this is Marv Wolfman, co-creator of the Teen Titans, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. Excellent. I feel good about tonight. There's a reason. Well, we always have a reason. Oh, we always have a reason, but tonight is really special. Extra super secret special reason. Something, something. Yeah. Jack would have called him, hey, you brought one of them big brains in. Good job. <laughs> yeah, the banter is lively. Oh, it's on and popping. I always think of corn whenever you say that for some reason. <laughs> oh, bust it. That's with, where the with, brain goes. With, with a K? No, the, no, oh, no. Okay, oh, Jesus. No. Thank you. Thank you. I hope no, no. I hope no one thinks of corn as a K. I... <laughs> 2023. Okay. Yes. I, I, one thing I pride myself on is my um, excellent taste in music, and I am happy to say that corn is not in that vocabulary. Seriously. <laughs> we hope that you were in your vocabulary. My is obviously dysfunctional right now, but because this is 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 873. Wow. And I'm Vince B. You are Vince B. We're, we're nearing the road to 900. Goddamn. I am David A. Price. Indeed you are. And of course, I am everyone's favorite little brother, Larry Lieber. Aww. <laughs> Poor Larry. You're not Larry Lieber. <laughs> You're Jason Wood, everybody. Uh, uh, little Birdie told me we have a guest this week. We do. We do. Making his triumphant return. I don't know how many times this gentleman's been on the show, but it has been a minute. I think it's at least pre-pandemic, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Um, but we, in a way, he and his work is somewhat synonymous with the show, I would argue, because he's one of the first uh, creators that we talked up in a big way and befriended right in the show's earliest days, thanks to a little book named Godland, which we all adored. He, of course, went on to do many other amazing things, many of which he's come on the show to talk with us about over the years, including Transformers versus G.I. Joe, a Fantastic Four Grand Design. Uh, and uh, and he is on tonight to talk about the second of his amazing projects with 10 Speed Press. The first was, of course, Jack Kirby, the epic life of the king of comics back in 2020. And back again, soon to be, hopefully in many of your hands, it's already in ours, uh, is I Am Stan, a graphic biography of the legendary Stan Lee. I am, of course, thrilled to have back with us on the show, Mr. Tom Scholey. Hey, guys. Great to be back. Great to be back. Yes, sir. Welcome back. Nice. We're all glad to have you, just not Jason. You know. <laughs> I fake it that pretty good, in- though, right? That intro was taking me back because, yeah, it feels like I've, I've known you guys forever. And, like, I, I remember, I, I forget what show it was. Uh, like some convention, and then somebody was saying to me, "Oh, those guys over there—they're—they're they're podcasters." <laughs> and I'm like, "What? <laughs> What's that?" You know. And, and now, you know, everybody's a podcaster, but you guys were like, uh, you know, on the cutting edge. It is true. It's been a long time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for CGS, though. So that is fact. Got to yep. give the propers. Got to give the propers. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. Speaking of propers, this. Episode is brought to you by CheapGraphicNovels.com. It's right there in the name, people. CheapGraphicNovels.com. If you want to save big on omnibu collected editions, manga, everything that has covers and is thick, 
why you just go to cheapgraphicnovels.com and you'll save massively remember place an order buy something or a couple somethings don't overdo it because there's a method to my madness here buy something and you will receive an email verification saying hey thank you for your order you are going to reply yes to that email verification saying 11 o'clock comics sent me and you will be gifted with free shipping on your next order that's insane that is when you tank up you get the massive omnibus you get 20 of them whatever just go <laughs> crazy because the shipping is free so cheapgraphicnovels.com the best period have you guys have, have either of you availed yourselves of uh the the, the cheap graphic oh, the novels free ship oh yeah. yeah well yes yes i um i recently Wait. received the um the first the first den book because for some reason i missed it when i ordered i ordered the second one when i ordered the second one i was like that's weird so max was kind enough to 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 fill that void as well as um the small size uh, Spider Gwen trade. I, I was missing one, the one right before the latest one. So I, I, I had some gaps to fill, and, and he was happy to take care of that for me. So yeah, I have, I have ordered. I have not taken advantage yet of the uh, of of the the free shipping. You shouldn't take advantage of it. That's nuts. Why? No. No. I, we're, I get what you're saying. I get what yeah. you're saying. Whatever. Well, it is I'm defense. saying he hasn't, I haven't, he hasn't taken advantage I haven't, of it. So. Right, I haven't. I haven't made a second order yet that I would allow that, that would allow me to take advantage of it if it was an option. I'm just saying that. Yes, right. I, to, to answer Jason's question, yes, I've made a purchase recently, <laughs> but I haven't made a second one. Nice. where the shipping would be available. Right. I get too much from them. Too much. But it's wonderful. Um, so yes, uh, let's do the drink roll call. Why don't we? Okay. I have nothing of of note. It's just water with blackberry lemonade in it. Now, did you put the blackberry and lemonade no, in it? No, no, no. Because that'd be kind of fancy. You put the lime in the coconut. I am, <laughs> I am not fancy. <laughs> if you want me to drink it with my pinky out, I will. But it's just water. Okay. Okay. Well, I uh, I am having a uh, a citrus yuzu smash white claw. In honor of our guest. Wow, Tom, that's big doings because he rarely drinks. Yeah, that um, I- I'm with you because I have decaf coffee right here, so that's <laughs> you know that's as tame as it gets. Yeah, yeah, these drink roll calls are, pro- are the biggest proof ever of how long we've been doing the show. Seriously, <laughs> who's like, yo, I got a I got a bullet neat with this chasing it with the sixer, and it's like, yeah. hey, I have a I have a fine distilled uh, dry drip coffee, and uh, yeah, yes, now I'm so drinking battery now. acid this week. That was back <laughs> in the day, not anymore. We're getting old. Third, Tap, what are you drinking? Uh, listen, man, I, uh, I, I had a nice glass of Pinot with dinner and when I finished it, I was like, you know what? I'm good. And now I am just going to chug into this big ass barrel of water that I have next to my desk. Wow. This is bizarro. So I'm the only yes, one is. of us that's having an alcoholic. Yeah. Beverage. It's freaky. Insane. So, it's so <laughs> weird. if you want, if you want to call that an alcoholic beverage, yes. Well, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Hold on. <laughs> All right, it's 100 calories, so it's not very caloric, but wait a minute. Uh, it's got as much alcohol as hand sanitizer. It's about 5%. Is that what it is? I think so. Oh, yeah, if, it's if, right at 5% alcohol. Yeah. 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 
Not bad. Go. Not bad. It'll kill some germs, but not many. Yeah. Boom. All right. Enough of this. I want to talk to Tom. <laughs> yes, that's what we're here for. Yes. Sure. And Tom, I, I wasn't joking when I said uh, Kirby would refer to you as a big brain, because um, in preparation for this, I put the Jack Kirby book, Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics, next to the Stan book which, for those of you playing at home, is called I Am Stan, a graphic biography of the legendary Stan Lee. And you are so smart because the Kirby book, the title of which is just a title. It's, it was written, you know, it's just stating this is Jack Kirby and this is his life. The Stan title is in the first person. I Am Stan. This is me, right? But if you read both books in tandem... The Kirby book is written in the first person, as if Jack were telling you about his life. And the Stan book is written as if you were a little fly on the wall observing all of these incidents that encompassed his life. That is, you you blew my mind with that. Was that intentional? Well, I mean, Stan is like he's his story is a much more external story and jack's is a much more like internal story aside from world war ii you know right. world war ii is very uh you know action-packed kind of you know jack kirby style like like the kind of comic jack kirby would make but yeah the rest it, it's it's such an internal such an internal journey um and 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 where stan you know you can see him like jumping on his desk and things like that you know uh where Kirby would just, he'd just like be at that desk concentrating super hard and like just, you know, his wrist would be moving or whatever. But, you, you know, you, you wouldn't quite be aware that there was like that much going on, you know, unless you were like inside his head or looking at, you know, what was going on, like on that piece of paper. But yeah, the, the stand and yeah, the stand book isn't, it's not like, you know, it's not like his diary or, or, or you know, told in the first person, but I, I really like wanted to embody Stan Lee with that book. So it's, it's almost like it's the book saying I am Stan, like, like, right. Like, you know? Yeah. And, and the Stan Lee experience out of it. And Stan was so conscious of the way he was perceived and, um, grabbing as much of the limelight as he possibly could. I, I totally agree, uh, as if it matters, with the title, I Am Stan, because Stan is the guy that actually stepped in front of the cameras. He was the cheerleader, the ringmaster, that got us all enthusiastic about Marvel comics. And Jack was the storyteller. And I thought, man, this is so smart to take these two different approaches to what I'm guessing are companion volumes, right? For sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah they definitely speak to each other and, and sort of create a third narrative. It was a journey, my man. Um, you know, I'm not joking when I say that you are on a real short list. <laughs> Maybe two people that could ever get me to, to actually read a Stan Lee, um, you know. Right, product. yeah. That that kind of surprised me, too, because I had a couple people saying, because, yeah, I... I know a lot of people in sort of like the jack kirby fandom you know and, and and that's that's sort of a community that i'm part of too and i was kind of surprised you know, people saying like oh yeah I'm, I, I, I don't know I, I don't know if i could buy a, a stan lee book yeah well, i mean that's the, oh, oh good no I, I, to your credit though you played it as expected very very smart 
because no matter what side of the the fan base or you know that you fall on either you're a fan or not there's plenty in this book to fuel fires on both sides sure yeah it, it's yeah, not it's I, not a scathing diatribe against stan it's not a uh, uh you know you don't regale him with with as a as a super being it's just you 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 gave you stated the information in a in a dynamic way that kind of feeds both sensibilities and i thought man it's 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 a it's great to read that because mm-hmm. obviously i was loving the the incidents that render stan in not so wonderful a light but then there's plenty in here that yeah that do right yeah, that's the point I was going to say is that reading this, I was, um, I don't know if impressed is the word, but but pleased, I guess, to see how how straight down the middle you, you this read. I mean, it didn't read like it had an agenda, not to say that I thought you would necessarily have an agenda, but it's my opinion that most documentaries and biographies, whether they be written or drawn or, or filmed, are, are generally do take on some kind of agenda of the director, whether it's intentional or not. Um, and, you know, knowing you for as long as we have and knowing what an unabashed Kirby fan you are, I was thinking it would be a little bit more pointed. Um, and so, you know, what I'd love to, I mean, listen, this is by 10 speed as well. Like you said, it's a companion book to the Kirby book. When you did the Kirby book, we were all like, oh, that's, that makes sense. That's on brand, right? Like, of course, like if there's who, who else should do a, a Jack Kirby biocomic than Tom, um, but then doing this again as a companion piece, it makes sense. But like, did you have to give this thought? Was this just a natural follow up? Like, did they approach you? Did you approach them? I'm curious how this came to be. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's like just an incredibly natural follow up. And they did approach me, um, you know, after I finished the Jack Kirby book. And I was like, no, you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm not interested in doing a Stanley book. And I get like, I was, you know spent all that time in that Jack Kirby world telling the Jack Kirby story and spent a lot of time, you know, in Stan Lee's world by extension. So I was just, I was just kind of worn out. Like, you know, by the end of that book, I just was not, I needed some time. And, but as you know, maybe a year or so, uh, like, like as time went on, I did kind of, you know, the, the seed was planted and this, you know, approach in this uh, just almost like daydreaming this kind of like approach to telling Stan's story you know kind of came to me and I kind of built on it and then you know it it reached a point where I'm like okay yeah I absolutely have to do this Stan Lee book so I just sort of I needed time and I needed um you know kind of the the right approach to it and then you know it, it just made all the sense in the world and yeah looking back it's like Oh, if I had, you know, if this was some sort of master plan or something, it 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 would have been perfect because yeah, if I started with a Stan Lee book, it kind of would have been like, okay, why is why is Tom doing a Stan Lee book? But Jack, Jack Kirby book, completely natural. And then it's like, oh well, of course, you know, you do a Jack Kirby book. Of course, your next book is going to be Stan Lee. So it 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 you know, it, it really built a bridge to the next one. But it wasn't. Like, I never in a million, like, you know, if you would have asked me, like, oh, do you want to do a Stan Lee book? Like, it was just, you know, the furthest thing from my mind. But, you know. Well, that's interesting to hear because then, to me, the the result is it would be much more organic and natural than if you just set out to just make a companion book to the Kirby thing just because, 
right? Well, I got a stand, uh, I have a Kirby book, I got to do a stand book, but you didn't see it coming and yet it happened, which... Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, I mean, it was incredibly natural and, and I think like a lot of it um, kind of came out of just uh, contemplations of, you know, like mora- mortality and, uh, you know, yeah, um, age, you know, just like the story of a, of a life, you know, of, of somebody going from, you know, this sort of young, plucky character to this, you know, complicated, older character and, and um, you know, and, and just a lot of the um, sort of the dark side of the Stan Lee story. It, it just kind of like I, I started seeing it as and, and again, like the, the final book isn't this, but in the process of kind of you know, working through it and thinking about it, I, w- I was kind of seeing it as like, ooh, like a like a Citizen Kane kind of story, or um, uh, Slaughterhouse Five or something yeah. like I, you know, that, mm-hmm. that was kind of you know where I started, and, and th- that's that's how a lot of projects are. A lot of projects start off where you kind of have this thought of like, ooh, it could be this, 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 and then as you like dive in and, and pick away and work at it, then it then it becomes like what it becomes. But that was that that, that those were some of the gateways into Stan's story for me. Did, did you, since you have spent so much time in the, 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 the Kirby ethos, and, and obviously like you said, it, it, I'm sure that book came naturally to you, and, and it, you can't be big into Kirby's life and influences without knowing a lot about Stan, at least from one angle. Did you have to take a certain tact for the research of this book either to make sure you were being fair and balanced or to like, where did you have to fill in the, 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 the blanks? What was the research process like for this in comparison to the Kirby book? Yeah. I mean, to, to, to be like fair and balanced and stuff like that was mainly just, um, and, and I, I tried to do this, you know, in a lot of aspects of the book, but just kind of take myself out of the equation, you know, just kind of, you know, remove me as much as possible from it and just, observe just um you know research and report back and and try really hard not to editorialize and and of course you know that it's it's almost impossible to like completely you know not editorialize or or, but you know to the best of my ability I, i i tried to take myself out of it and um for the for the difference between the research for uh, the Jack book and this is like just that I, I'm kind of I mean I, I have my preferences in terms of like Kirby's work and so I I know sort of more about certain things and like certain comics like his 70s work his 60s work and the um and and, and the biography of like like what was going on in his life around those times like like those were sort of my areas of expertise but. I, I like all Kirby stuff and, uh, you know, and I, and I have like a lot of knowledge about it, uh, you know, like every era of his stuff, whereas with Stan, my knowledge going into it was sort of, it's like, okay, you know, I'm way into this stuff. I'm way into this period. And then other parts of his life and his work are, ju- were just kind of like big question marks to me. So I had to, you know, that was where a lot of the research was, was sort of catching up like, okay, what was Stan Lee up to in the 40s and 50s you know what was uh you know what was stan lee up to in in the 2000s and and the 2010s and stuff you know like those 
um, you know, and, and of course, I mean, Kirby didn't make it into the 2000s. So, you know, uh, you know, there's that too. just, you know, Stan having sort of a much longer life. Um, but, but yeah, there were like, I went into it, uh, sort of like an expert in certain aspects and then, you know, just a completely like a blank slate uh, for other things. Right. Uh, in, in trying to come up with, with questions for you for this thingamajig, I found myself in your position. I had to really try very hard not to editorialize, right? Not to put a slant on it because you know where I fall in this side of the, right? So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to, to, um, get something where it's like, I didn't want to say, well, because Stan was a thieving scumbag, did this, you know what I mean? Like I, I had to stop and, and pull away and say, well, a lot of these s scenes that you include in this book, they really speak for themselves. You don't have to editorialize. Like there's only one way to read Stan entering the bullpen with a whip, right? Pretend, <laughs> pre pre pretending to, to, to lash at his artists to produce more like that. I can understand from his perspective how he thought that might have been funny. Mm -hmm. But if you're in the, the, the seat and you got the drawing table in front of you, that's not funny at all. <laughs> it's, it's, it, yeah. it's, it's kind of in bad taste, too. But um, I like the way that you didn't put any spin on it. You're just like, this is what happened. And perceive it as only the way the events can be perceived, right? Or again, that may be me leaning into it a little bit, right? It, it's, yeah, it's I mean, there, there, yeah, there's, there's scenes that speak for themselves. And there's also, um, you know, when you're putting together a book like this, there's certain moments where you're like, okay, I got to put that in. Like, that has to go in here. And, and that, that was something that kind of blew my mind a little bit because I'd heard references to it, you know, here and there. And I, like, just assumed it was like a metaphor or something. But then like, you know, uh, I, like I'm finding these, uh, you know, there was like a documentary and, you know, there were a couple like written accounts where like they were absolutely serious. Like Stan really did this. And, and it's, I mean, it would be easy to assume like that version of Stan, what like that, that he was doing that in the sixties and seventies too. But no, there was like a very like, mo it's like a moment in time uh, of like this sort of, uh, uh, you know, infant King Stan, where it was like right after the war, when he came, when he came, you know, back, you know, full time in the offices as editor, um, he like, he was like a tiny tyrant. Like he was, uh, you know, just had all this like bound up energy and, and kind of, uh, I don't know, passive aggressive anger or something. And was just kind of, you know, a, a little bit of a monster for a moment. And then, he, it was like he got it out of his system. He was like cured of it, um, or at least like the, the most sort of surface aspects of it. But but that was um, that was eye opening. And again, I'd, I'd heard some like stories here and there, you know, but but it, like it, it is just it, it is just a specific moment in time. And then for whatever reason, you know, he he kind of I'm like I I don't I don't see how you could carry on that kind of behavior indefinitely, you know. Mm hmm. What, what um. What, if anything, Tom, as you were putting this together, surprised you, you know, that you were like, oh, I, I didn't like that really kind of did anything take you back and say, oh, wow, that I had no idea. Was there any of that? Yeah, I mean, sometimes there were some, you know, uh, some of the early comics that he worked on, you know, at the very, very beginning were kind of like, oh, that's 
you know, that's a lot better than I thought it would have been. Like, you know, he, he did come into there with a lot of talent. You know, he was like, um, I didn't, I was looking for like a smoking gun. I was looking for like some kind of thing where it's like, okay, here is Stanley genius, you know, at, you know, like, like an early age. Or and like, I, I didn't find anything like that, but like his stuff was pretty solid. And, and when he takes over, um, like writing Captain America and stuff after, after, um, uh, uh, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby leave, um, there's some pretty strong material in there. Like it, it's, you know, it's, it's not at the level of like the Simon and Kirby stuff, but you know, he, he didn't do too bad, mm-hmm. follow, you know, following in their footsteps. And did you find yourself, you know, you mentioned like when you were first kind of putting all this together, you thought of the whole citizen can angle and it, it didn't end up being that per se, but, but, you know, I did, I did find it, um, I found it gratifying and endearing a bit that the you the way you ended the book where you you take us on on you know what's what's certainly no matter where you sit with the stand debate uh, a very sad end to his life I think um, you know a guy that lived his life with such vibrance and, and 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 larger than life was was like many elderly people taken advantage of pretty horribly towards the end and I really think you captured that like you captured that and I um, like. I, it doesn't sound like you were super plugged into Stan's goings on in his later years. So were you surprised by that? Or was that, was that like, you know, was that a conscious choice to, 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 you know, to make sure that that was captured in the book? Cause obviously you could write a Stan biography about his career without necessarily going there. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was one of the like important things that made me want to do a Stan Lee book like if, mm-hmm. if it had just been sort of oh happily ever after for stan lee and stuff like um that that's a different kind of story but um you know the just like the the weirdness and the the tragedy of his last days make it, it just like it kind of blows my mind and it it um it just like i i still can't get past it like it kind of um just change it like it completely changes you know, the story of Stan Lee's life. Stan Lee was one of these sort of, you know, American success stories. And, and you know, whether you, uh, you know, love him or hate him or whatever, it's like, you know, you know, uh, you know maybe you resent his success and, and happiness and or whatever, or, or maybe, you know, you're cheering for him or whatever. But it's it's not that story, you know, anymore. Like once, like all those videos started surfacing and stuff, it's like, okay, this is, now it's, it's like, it's, um, you know, uh, like a David Lynch film or something where, you mm-hmm. know, where before it would have been, uh, you know, like a, a um, I don't know, rags to riches or whatever, you know, like like one of those uh, Horatio Alger kind of stories. Well, you infused the book with a sense of foreboding right from the beginning, like with the, the person directing Stan S. T. A like it's it's the yeah. first page of the book, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's 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 very Lynchian in that you you there's a there's a shadow over it. So you're reading the 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 about three quarters into it, right? And if you didn't know the life of Stan, you wouldn't understand that first page. But then mm-hmm. you see where it starts to go, and it's like, oh man, you you clued us in right from the beginning that this is going to go south. Um, at the end, right? Because he's obviously older, and he's signing, and he doesn't know how to sign his own name, and and that it, uh, again, um, 
I I have feelings for Stan because I have to admit the the guy changed my life immeasurably. Um, as a kid, I didn't know what was going on and I didn't care what was going on. All I knew was that there's this guy who's telling me Marvel comics are cool, that it's the place to be. It's a club where, you know, you can come in. There's plenty of room. Here's what we have coming up. And, uh, and the alliteration, I, to this day, I can't shake alliteration when I write. And that is directly a product of stand. So, you know, I, I can get all, you know, puff my chest up and say, oh, I don't like stand, but I do. I do like stand. I like, in terms of your book, I like that character of stand that we were all introduced through the comics, right? And that's in the book. So I was like, oh, this part's great. And then, you know, the stuff we didn't know back then that we do know now, that starts to bubble to the surface. And then, yeah, it became, you know, so um, there are many, and I, I like the way you did this, where you have different age periods of Stan in like a, uh, a Warholian montage with just a flat color. And I thought that was beautiful. And it's like, here's the bald Stan. Here's the Stan with the wig. Here's an older Stan. It's, that, that section is just impeccable. I love it. Um, but that's how Stan is. There are many stands to all of us. I like to focus on the the ringleader, the guy that mm-hmm. was the champion mm-hmm. of of Marvel Comics and made it seem so cool to read this stuff. And it was cool, right? Um, I always go back to Chris Bocello and his depiction of Stan from the uh, the Ex- Excalibur, right? When when Stan mm-hmm. was leaning over the podium with the with the top hat on and the glasses, he's like, "Step right up!" Like that Stan to me, right? Um, regardless of any of the other stuff, which y- you have to put on the back burner um, when when you know reading or or consuming something about the life of a person who kind of strikes you a lot of different ways. So, you know, I may be overlapping with what Jason asked you, but was there some events that you didn't include where you're just like, no, I can't do this. This is just, no, I can't put this in the book because it's just, it's leaning towards one side a little too heavily. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, there wasn't, yeah, I can't think of anything like that where I was like, oh, you know, this, this, this would be too too nasty or so the like that sort of that stand that you're talking about that sort of you know like who, who you know i started you know when, when i was a kid and stuff and like what i thought stan was this sort of uh you know um that the hans christian anderson of the 20th century or something you know um with a little bit of pt barnum thrown in like that that guy that character like that's you know that is you know really like compelling and warm and stuff yep but the the sort of like more complicated stand is actually like from a like a literature point of view or whatever like that's an incredibly engaging uh kind of character that that is kind of you know like a little bit of a trickster a little bit you know uh, a little bit of um like like that that just um again again it, it, it it's just those kind of characters and those kind of people like, like in in a fiction or whatever are like the ones that you can't take your eyes off of. So, so like that, that stand is, you know, is great, 
you know, fodder for a book, like, like for, for, you know, a narrative, even, even a, you know, nonfiction narrative, like you, you kind of can't take your eyes off of them. And, and, um, and it's not like in spite of the flaws, sometimes the flaws are, you know, they're, they're part of, you know, what, what, what makes, makes them irresistible. Right. I completely agree. The, the showman, the Carnival Barker, that's a pretty one-note character, as compelling as it was. I mean, he had me completely convinced as a kid, but the the more layered, um, older, um, more experienced Stan is a much more interesting character. I, I, I agree with that, yeah. The um, Obviously, a, the notes section in your book is wonderful for, for you citing your sources, and, and obviously there are... Even though, because different books will go through different facets of his life, you, you'll you see, you know, the, uh, what is it, the, with Ray Powers, Stanley Story, or Excelsior, The Amazing Life, you'll see it throughout the whole book, where they're, um, like, just how much, how much of the reference material did you actually have on hand ready to start with this, or did you actually have to run out and do... I mean, I would imagine some of it you would have had left over from the from the Jack book, but how much of this did you kind of already know and did you just needed to reinforce or you, you went out and found the two Marlowe's magazines, the various books, the, the various YouTube interviews, things like that? Yeah, I mean, you're right. And, and it was kind of the same with Jack Kirby where it's like I, I, knew, I knew the story. Like, and, and if I had to, I could sit down and just make, you know, uh, a, a graphic novel of, of Jack Kirby's life or Stanley's life. I could sit down and it would, you know, like I could do it, but it's like when you're actually doing it, it's like, okay, I got to make sure, you know, I got to check and double check and make sure, you know, that I'm, you know, like, uh, you know, make double sure about this and that. And, and so, so yeah, it was a lot of like, which, which is sort of why, like, I can't imagine somebody making a book, like you kind of have to come from our community. Like you kind of have to be mm-hmm. somebody who's like really versed in this to do, to like really do the material justice because like we kind of have this built in like decades of preparation where it's like, I didn't realize I, I was spending decades preparing for a Stanley book, but I really was like, I, like I really did have all this stuff at my fingertips and kind of know the basic shape of the story. And then I could sort of, you know, fill in the detail, like, and, and then sort of knew where to look you know, where to go to like, find out like, okay, yeah, I got this hole over here that I need to fill and this, this over here. So yeah, it was, it was like, I had a lot of this stuff was like already on my bookshelves. And then uh, there was a lot of, you know, just maxing out my library card and, you know, ordering stuff and, you know, and just, yeah, just uh, hoovering (laughs) up, you know, every, everything I could get. Right. The, the, one of the things that uh, really surprised me is how important, how crucial Joan is, or was, to uh, Stan's success because she was a constant. She was his rock. When when he started to waver, she just like, well, why don't you just do it your way? And uh, I gotta say, the when she passes, that's that's a rough uh, panel to to experience. Like, y- you know, y- you gotta feel for the guy, and and then you see after Joan leaves the picture things start to get really bad for him 
Yeah, I mean, he, that is really when he, he started getting taken advantage of, you know. She was sort of the gatekeeper in that way, and um, yeah, for sure. And I do remember some of the headlines or stories where there was issues with between Stan and, and his daughter Joni, and uh, I, I didn't realize, based on how whatever amount of depth you want to say gets into it in this book, I didn't realize that it was as serious as it was than just maybe the gossip mill talking about, you know, just some tiff within a family, but it, it seemed pretty harsh. Yes. Stan had, he had like a small world. Like he had, he had a lot of like friends, a lot of this, and but like a very small circle of confidants. And, and, um, you know, it really what like, like he and Joan were like, like she was his world, you know, like she, she was sort of, you know, the one person he'd sort of, you know, really open up to and, and, um, you know, and, and he definitely put her on a pedestal and they, they were, they were a good match, um, in a lot of ways. And, and then in some way, like they kind of had sort of, um, overlapping blind spots, uh, you might say, or, you know, like it, it was an interesting chemistry, but yeah. And, and of course, like, like who couldn't relate to that, you know, like that, that he's got, you know, this significant other who means the world to him. And then, and then, yeah, like, like when she dies, I mean, I mean, that's, that's a lot of people's story, you know, where, you know, things just, you know, not necessarily in this exact form, but where, you know, you lose, you lose that partner and it's just like a quick, you know, tumble after that. Right. You, you, you made me feel for him. Damn you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, you know, from, from one human being to another, like, I, I mean, it's, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, as time goes on, I, I just, you know, find it so much easier to just be, be empathetic, you know, to like, uh, you know, to, 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 you know, other people's stories and, and you know, it like, like that, what maybe maybe twenty years ago, it, it might have been a little snarky or, or something. But but yeah, it's like I, I you know just from, you know from one person to another. I'm, I, I uh, you know I I I was you know just in the making of this book. I was kind of getting you know emotional. You know, just sort of you know thinking about the reality of this stuff. Well, I think we're all going to go down this road, right? More or less. I don't think, you know, I'm not saying people are going to take advantage of us but later in life, but there's going to be a period uh, where we're going to enter a slow decline and be shadows of the people we were before. Like this, this is pretty much a universal story aside from the way he was manipulated. But the, the point being towards the end was definitely not at the top of his game. And I think that's something that applies to everyone. It's, 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 a, it's a story that everybody can relate to, right? Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, and it's it's kind of a best case scenario is like, you know, this decline, you know, because, you know, some people don't make it into those golden years and stuff. So so, yeah, there is a decline. I I mean, I think part of it is sort of the things that Stan valued and and the things that he was looking for out of life um, probably had a role to play, too. Like, I feel like. and again, this is this is like more editorializing than I would do in the actual book. This is just sort of me, you know, talking as me. But um, just that, um, I, I, you know, I think, you know, he kind of, you know, had some of the wrong value, like kind of put a lot of stock into, you know, um, uh, 
uh, I don't know, like sort of flash and and success and and you know surrounding himself with sort of you know wonderful friends, you know, who are you know kind of you know witty at a party and things like that, and, and then maybe kept out some of like the the you know the real people, like some of the like real relationships that are maybe a little more difficult. Uh, you know, maybe maybe not as um, you know, sort of fabulous or whatever, but but are sort of like the real people who can really be there for you when you need them. And I and I think you know, like uh, talking about Larry Lieber earlier, it's like he he seemed to keep Larry at arm's length, like throughout their life. Like he kind of kept the distance from from Larry Lieber for you know, just basically his entire life and. And Larry himself was kind of perplexed by it, and like, I mean, what a what a great resource, you know, that would have added so much to Stan's quality of life if he had sort of you know kept his brother, you know, more in his life. I also think that kind of behavior was instilled uh, in him by his mother. Because she, as depicted in the book, she doted on Stan. Everything Stan did was wonderful. And then when Larry entered the picture, she's like, don't touch that. That stands. Like, get away from that. It does, <laughs> it, it's your brother's. So I think maybe of the maybe some of the way he behaved towards his brother was, was uh, planted by his mom, more or less. Yeah. And, and I mean, there was definitely there was something going on there. And, and yeah, again, hearing, you know, Larry's accounts of these things. Like Larry was pretty perplexed by it, and um, and you know some of that dysfunction in you know in his sort of you know childhood and, and like in his you know relationship with his mother and things like that. You you can see how that uh, that can play itself out in adulthood and and in his you know relationships and and um, you know the, the uh, and maybe even like in in, in his marriage too. Right. Infinitely, infinitely complex character, uh, to say the least. Yeah, um, I love the sequence where it's uh, around the time where Jack departed Marvel and went to DC and did the New Gods, and Stan gets to see the Funky Flashman uh, <laughs> ca- character, and Stan's like, "I didn't know that Jack could be so mean." <laughs> it's like, "Well, what did you expect?" <laughs> right? I, I, that that sequence is great because I'm I'm guessing uh, not only by the way you rendered it, but um, as a human being, that Stan probably was actually hurt by that. It yeah, it really it really did affect Stan, and it was like it was it was you know shots fired for sure, right? And um, and yet like and uh, and uh, accounts. Uh, I mean, you know, Mark Avenir talks about this stuff, but like that. It, it, like Jack was maybe even a little bit shocked at like how how much like he he didn't start out intending to just you know completely uh you know lambaste uh stand but it it you know like I, you know and again like Kirby was a creator who created from the gut and just kind of like his you know his pencil did the walking or whatever and and it just it just came out as this like um and, and yeah like when I first read the Funky Flashman story, like I didn't realize just how, like you know, how on target or whatever it was, because it was kind of like, oh, well, this Funky Flashman guy, he doesn't look that much like. But because I was thinking of like the Stan I knew, like the the '80s 
Stan with like, you know, the mustache and the sunglasses, you know, funky Flashman was kind of, it's, it's a perfect like dead on rendering of like this like transitional period of Stan where he kind of was sporting a goatee and, and, you know, kind of had the toupee, like, like, and it looked kind of um, very scholarly and stuff, but before, you know, becoming sort of like the, you know, like aviator shades and, um, you know, uh, Burt Reynolds mustache. Well, Jack was kind of easily manipulated by his uh, anchor too, because if you remember that uh, series of interviews that Jack and Roz did uh, for the Comics Journal, where Roz seemed to poke him and like, yeah, Jack, you remember you created Black Panther and, and Jack yeah. would be like, yeah, yeah, I did. I created Black Panther. And Roz would be like, well, yeah, you also created, you know, um, Nick Fury. That's your character. And Sam would be like, yeah, that's, yeah, she's right. That's my character. And so like we see this where um, these, these larger than life um, heroes that we have have usually have someone in their corner that wants them to succeed and may push and nudge them in directions that, you know, may or may not be actually true. But, um, and I, and I, I that's the, what I got from a lot of this with Joan uh, while her commentary was positive, like Stan, just do it the way you want to do it. it. You're, you're fine. You're a good writer. Just do it. Where Roz was kind of manipulating Jack a little bit. Uh, did you ever get that feeling from those interviews? Um, I mean, you know, I think it's like Jack was just, uh, you know, very easygoing and kind of, and kind of, um, he, in interviews and stuff, he didn't, he didn't really want to ruffle any feathers and he was kind of like, um, you know, and, and he was sort of an improv guy and he was kind of like a yes and kind of guy. So if, if the interviewer is like, oh yeah, and this, this, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. I, you know, I remember that uh, where, you know, Roz was kind of like, yeah, keeping him keeping him on task and right. like, you know, reminding him to be angry uh, about some of this stuff. Um, I mean, it, it was, uh, um, you know, like th there's the quote uh, of Roz saying, you know, he may be the qu the king, but I'm the queen. You right. know, so I, you know, he, you know, Jack had his own uh, mother issues too. So, right. you know, he, he, he definitely, I mean, he worshiped his mother and like really put her on a pedestal and, and, and there is a tendency to transfer some of that stuff into, you know, your 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 you know marriage or your, sure. your you know, family life or whatever. Oh, we see that uh, at Jack's funeral that Roz was hoping that uh, Stan would be available to to come up and uh, if not say a few words, at least Roz wanted to. She, she said she wanted to hug him just you know because it's what everything's fine and and it's what you know it's probably what jack would have wanted and and i you know you can obviously i mean i from what i understand people can hold grudges and there are um as you get older obviously you, you realize a lot of that is just the time wasted and, and and it was it was silly but yeah it it's i definitely remember the interviews you're referring to vince it was and it it's and there are times where depending on how like I, I, I can't imagine how it is to to create a book like this where where you're displaying what 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 you've read. But I mean, j just as a fan, and you know, like if if I read that you know Claremont and Byrne didn't get along while while they were creating the X Men or something, it's like it almost it it doesn't ruin the stories obviously because 
they're made and printed and, and you already read them, but you, you do still part of me, me at least. I'm like, I, I just, I, not that maybe they were the best of friends, but I'm like, it, it's, it's, it bums me out knowing that, you know, people who could create something like this just either couldn't see eye to eye or just, you know, it was, it, it was for the sake of just the product. And, and there are real people behind everything that's being made, but you still, in my head, I just, you know, I, I kind of just want the whole kumbaya moment and everybody just kind of like get along because these are good things and, and, and they, they, they entertain people and make them happy, but obviously these are real people and personalities and get in the way. And, and, and then of course, but when you have somebody like Stan, who obviously in his, as time went on and, and, and as Tom points out in the book, you know, he does, he does tend to correct people when they say, you know, Oh, you created Captain America. And he's like, no, 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 that, that, that was Jack and Joe or, or he'll, he'll mention, you know, how he would, he would try to elaborate on what, his involvement was and what the Marvel method was and, and what a creator or co-creator is. And I definitely, I, you know, you see an interview with Howard Stern, he's talking about, you know, Stephen King writes a book and it's all him. And obviously that's apples and oranges because you're a novelist. You're just one person writing, you're making a comic book. You've got maybe up to half a dozen people working on it. So you can't, it's, it's easy for Stan to say, I came up with a name. So therefore I created the character. But you ain't got shit if you don't have the visuals to go with it in this medium. So it's it, I, I, I it's it's very difficult for me to kind of stand behind it, no matter how great I want to praise Stan or, or or just thank him for everything he's done. There are times where he'll say something later on, and and I and, and I just I kind of I cringe a little bit because it's just like that's not. I, I kind of know what you mean, but you're just not saying it right, and it just it it doesn't ruin the moment, but it just it reminds me that people are human. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, uh, Stan kind of conditioned us to, uh, you know, l- learn that, you know, that, that, that like even, even heroes are, you know, have their faults and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those, like, his, like, the, the most sort of like egregious things that he's said, um, you know, about the creation of, of these things and, and what his role is versus the roles of other people really, comes about when it starts being uh you know like the 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 subject of litigation or even just the um the the foundation of what like the company's case for ownership of these things rests in them being created by a salaried employee right exactly in the office you know so that like it is like that's that's when when you know, like the real shitty stuff kind of, you know, really happens. Um, and, and then, you know, once, once he's committed to that storyline, he's kind of, he's kind of cornered. Uh, yeah. If he were to sort of come out and, and, uh, you know, contradict it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a serious thing to, to, to contradict something that, that, that you gave testimony on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm sure Stan at some point was was instructed not to embark in conversations where the truth was vague. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I'm sure it was like, oh, yeah, uh, Simon and Kirby created Captain America. Because that was, a, at the time, that was a truism. Everybody knew that to be true. Stan wasn't even in the picture then, right? So, yeah, why not let that fly? But... 
when the subject comes to the Fantastic Four and the Silver Surfer and all those characters, that's when Stan was like, well, yeah, this was created by, I directed these artists what to do. I created these characters and, and with, in, in tandem with a person that, you know, created the images. So, uh, because Tom's exactly right. When you're talking potentially billions of dollars, you got to watch what you say. Yes. And, you know, the thing, and this is me editorializing, but but whenever the Jack Stan stuff comes up or there's a biography or a piece or a book done about any of them or, or the era, I'm always mindful. And, Tom, you did a nice job, I think, of capturing this in the beginning of the book is, you know, and the older we get and the more generations go by, this can be harder and harder for people to conceptualize. But but they were children of the Great Depression. And, you know, we're old enough to have known people personally that were that were people of Great Depression, whether it be our grandparents or, you know, whatever. And <clears throat> that shaped that generation in a, in a way that, that none of us can really quite appreciate at, in the way that we grew up. Um, and I find that that the 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 thing that sometimes is lost in these debates is people are just wired differently, right? Like, and, you know, Vince, you've been fair with this over the years when we've talked about this, and I appreciate that. You know, Jack sure. Jack's flaw if as much as anything was that he just was a lunch pail guy. Like he valued showing up and doing the work to do the work to get the paycheck because he had a sense of duty, right? Like to hit provide for his family. And it was, it was the way he could provide. And he, for a lot of his career was just content doing that, right? Like he didn't really get caught up in the, well, I got to own this IP and these, cause he didn't really think about that. He just thought yeah. I want to, I want to make a living. And, and that's how most people I think live their lives. Whereas Stan, who is not different than like a lot of startup entrepreneurs, right? It's like, he always wanted more. He was ravenous for more, for more wealth, for more fame, for more power. And it's just their mindsets and the way someone behaves in those, the way is the way you're wired. It's, 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 it's portrayed sometimes like purely black and white, like one is an evil way to live, one is a good way to live. But that's not really fair, right? Like I remember <clears throat> this might not make sense at first, but just follow me. I was at a I was in line to get a badge for a uh, a tech like a a, a telecommunications co- industry conference, right? I was attending uh, as an analyst, you know, because we invested in the space. I'm in line to get my badge, right? And uh, this was like during the internet bubble, so things were crazy. There was a couple behind me chit-chatting um they both worked for two different telecom companies they were behind me waiting for their badge on my blackberry as i'm waiting to get my badge i get uh an alert that one of the companies that's going to be at this thing gets acquired for a massive premium right so uh i'm like oh and i i'm on the phone telling you know my my firm about it i'm like oh i see so-and-so's going to acquire it tonight this morning the guy behind me um hears me he's like excuse me well what are you talking about and i tell him i said oh someone's just getting acquired this morning he's like oh man he's like i work i work for them and i'm like oh you know and we started talking like the guy had no clue what it meant and it really meant like nothing financially for him and he was just like oh i hope i get to keep my job and i'm thinking like dude not only do you get to keep your job but like you have stock vested stock options that are worth like 10 times they were worth (laughs) 10 minutes ago but like to this guy, like this engineer who played a huge role in building this company, like he never even conceptualized that he should get a piece of that. Like it was just like, well, they, I'm an engineer. They pay me to, to code and build stuff and that's just my job, right? Whereas like obviously his counterparts of that company just received life-changing financial news and it like meant everything to them. And that's why they were at the company. So it's like it kind of reminds me of that. Like Jack was just like a 
I'm going to, you know, I got to raise my family. I got to pay my bills. I want to have steady work and I want to be proud of the work I do. Where Stan was like, I want to be rich. I want to give myself financial independence. I want to succeed beyond all measure of success. And it's just like that dichotomy was, was so evident to me whenever I read about the two of them. And like, I don't know that that's always fairly given portrayal in these things. And again, I'm not like excusing Stan's behavior for it, but I'm saying that's what it's like the underlying sociology of what drove their behavior. Like in my, my point being like, I think Jack is as much to blame quote unquote for not getting his piece of the pie as anyone was for taking it from him. Cause he, he like many of these guys didn't even think to fight for it. Like they, they didn't really think about what it was worth. Right. When he was aware that there was a pie, it was probably too late. Yes, exactly. It was right. too late by then, right? Yeah. But I, I'm I love that Stan was a cheerleader for comics, that he thought it was a great medium and everybody should be into it, and and it's so wonderful. And the, he he would preach at the pulpit of comics all the time, because he saw it as an inroads to other more um, financially viable mediums like television and the movies. Once Stan got a taste that, hey, these stories can be told in other mediums that a lot of people consume, that's when Stan was like gung-ho. He was trying to get them, you know, all the characters on the silver screen or on TV. He was a champion for that kind of stuff because the financial windfall was much greater than just paper. Yeah. Right? And. Yeah, Tom, you do a great job, too, of, of, of it being pointed out. I think there's at least there's a couple scenes, but there's one where, like, you know, they're telling Stan, like, you're not a businessman. You know, you're not a good businessman. And that was true. Like, Stan was a terrible businessman. <laughs> he was an incredible brand ambassador. So when his business was to be a brand ambassador, he was awesome at that. And when his business, like, in the last 25, 30 years of his life was to get rich on his own brand – he couldn't fuck that up, right? Because it was just being himself was how he got rich. But as a businessman, he was fucking terrible, like Don't. terrible because he wasn't formally trained, right? And he really no training in it. And he wasn't, he was, it was the nepotism. And then he, he just kind of like fell into that and he just wasn't good at it. I mean, think about the fact that he was one of the first people on the planet to recognize that these characters could be in film and television bigger than they were in comics. And obviously we now know he was right, but it was his, decision making that nearly made that a total non-starter because he sold the rights to most of these characters away for literal pennies on the dollar and that almost was inextricably ruinous to marvel until they were able to you know build their way out of it and the rest is history so like i just think that dichotomy fascinates me in a weird way and i, I hate to make this comparison because you know how i feel about the guy i'm about to mention stanley and Tr donald trump have a lot of similarities to me I, I would opine that an objective analysis of Donald Trump, the businessman, is that he's a pretty terrible businessman. Sure. Um, but he is legitimately – now, he's not as nearly as wealthy as he's ever claimed to be. But he is certainly like generationally wealthy to the point where he never needs to worry about money. And much of that wealth was created by his brand, by his ability to market himself and his brand, much less so than his ability to be a good businessman. And I think that's a lot about Stanley too. I think that's that's really how he got rich and stayed rich. What do you think about that, Tom? I mean, the, the the thing that impressed me in like my research and stuff was I always thought Stan just kind of stumbled into, you know, it just kind of like naturally segued into this sort of spokesperson role and things like that. But I mean, you know, looking at his letters and things like that, like he really 
it was that was like a very clear vision that that he had was this idea of um, you know putting him becoming like yeah the brand ambassador making uh, becoming the face of the company making himself uh, you know front and center and there's I mean there's arguments you could you could make like you could say like oh you know all that. Um, you know, building himself as the brand and then and then also making himself by extension the face of comics. You could say like, oh, well, that stuff wasn't as important in the scheme of things as it was for the company to, again, have this, um, you know, salaried employee who could, you know, every couple of years come out and, and testify that, yes, I, I am the sole creator of these. And, and then that would be sort of the incentive to keep him on the payroll for life. His his brand like it did have a value, and and all of the all of that crazy, you know, dot com bubble stuff that he got involved in, um, it it was based on his brand, and it wasn't it, like it, it, and it was based on sort of the way he'd, you know, sort of fixed uh, that brand in the sixties and seventies and eighties. It you know it wasn't um, wasn't necessarily anything he did. You know, in, in uh, you know, leading up to the 2000s, it really was this, uh, you know, this sort of moment in time uh, that he had. So, yeah, like making yourself into a brand is incredibly like it's a powerful thing. And, and sometimes it's, um, you know, like a Pandora's box or whatever. like it's um, incredibly powerful, but can, but can be incredibly de destructive uh, in, in, in your life. Yeah, it just kind of snowballed, and um, there was a lot of it that was just unfortunately beyond his control. And it's it it it's it's not uh, a a final chapter that most people um, want to see for a character like Stan, right? Because he, he like it or not, he did bring so much value to our lives, and then. Uh, unfortunately, we have the gift of longevity, at least longer than his, and we get to see it all come crashing down. It's not its not a fun thing to witness, right? Um, because you're right. He was a human being, warts and all, and we don't like to see that. Like, And the same with Jack, the, the, the greatest creator in the history of any medium um, who should have been showered with, with dollar bills and rose petals just kind of blinked out right um the the stuff towards the end was was fine but it was a shadow of the stuff that came before and and no one likes to see their heroes you know head down that final road and yet we did because again time's a bitch um it's it, their lessons i think to 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 learn and to live by right yeah, and as sort of you know fans of of the arts and stuff, you know we have this idea, like like not even necessarily a stated idea, but this maybe this subconscious idea that somehow you know art is going to be your salvation and great art, and and it's just like it's a wonderful thing. It's it really is a nice thing to have in your life. It enriches your life, but um, you know you're going to have to deal with all the the same you know heartaches that that anybody's going to do it's not it's not going to save you from and 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 so yeah like we have you know jack kirby uh dies in the 90s and you know stan lee you know died a few years ago and 
but then it's also like you know like david bowie died uh, prince died you know it's like like these are you know you know like um you know it's it's kind of mind-blowing it's like every everybody that was doing something cool uh in the 80s or whatever when we were kids they're all you know like like their um their 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 time is is uh you know counting down right uh, again like that's that's the thing of it being like just a meditation on on mortality i think and by extension you you think of your own mortality right exactly exactly i think of just the reach that these these people had in terms of you know the population of the planet like david bowie touched billions and billions of people and yet was no more superhuman than any of us right just to have that kind of um to permeate the culture to the degree that these people did stan jack bowie uh you know the list is 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 long and then they just go the way that we all go right they leave something behind uh greater than most of us right uh in, in that they've influenced an entire planet and generations but they all end up in the same we all end up at the same spot right it's very humbling to read stories like this right when you mm-hmm. when you when you just see jack again um a colossus among artists like there was <laughs> nobody can this is just again my personal opinion nobody can even touch jack in terms of what he did what he accomplished his visual presence the power in his work his influence on everything. And then one day he's here, one day he's not. Yeah. Yeah, not, not to get all morose and downbeat, <laughs> but like that's the, just the way it is. And uh, it, it, we need books like yours just to remind us that let's celebrate the good stuff about these people. Yes, the, here's what happened towards the end, but there's, there's a lot of good in there. And, and let's maybe... Uh, use this as a cautionary tale should anyone else find themselves in the same predicament um, maybe don't do it that way <laughs> you know I, I think it's uh, one of the scenes that really resonated with me was uh, Big John Basima <laughs> uh, <laughs> on the Silver Surfer and Jack's like John these, this is not cutting it this is just bad terrible stuff and then time passes and then we see an interaction between John and, and, and Stan and and John's like, yeah, you didn't like that early Silver Server stuff. He's like, what are you kidding me? It's like one of the best books we ever published. <laughs> Pick a side, Stan. Where are you going with this? <laughs> but then, but but at least at least Tom included uh, the opening to bullpen bulletins. Maybe I should draw her bald headed. That's yeah. right. Yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then um, I mean, and 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 at least I got one panel of Gil Kane. And, and, very I mean, and, and even Neil, some, and some nice. I like the way Tom draws Roy. Yeah, Roy the boy. yeah, <laughs> with his, yeah, with, his with, with, with the shorter hair, and <laughs> and I mean, we get a full page of Neil Adams talking about unions and stuff. Yeah, oh, I, I can't have that. I can't. Oh, I no, get no, you, uh, Jack, uh, Tom, you do cover a lot of bases. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the satellites, was, that, and that was. I, I don't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. Was 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 that it? How how did it go through your head? How did you how, how did you juggle all of this? Because because there isn't you the reader has to obviously recognize you know time is passing and you and, and you sprinkle current events in so, so this way people kind of know what where where we are on the timeline but how how difficult was it to keep this all linear so you could 
put it on the page and and get it out? I mean, were, you, did, were things just all over the place for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard, and maybe this is like obvious. Maybe this is the way everybody does, you know, their thing. But uh, like, I have my creative process, and for me, it's like I start with sort of like this out of focus, hazy view of everything, you know, and I like I put together like bullet points where it's just like, okay, this, 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 and this, and, and move those around and juggle them. Around. And, and like, it can be very basic stuff and just juggling all of that. And then just in the act of like going through it and going through it over and over again, it just like slowly comes into focus. And like, you know, maybe, maybe I'm focusing on like a certain area over here and getting that focused and then moving over to another area um, and just like continuing that that process through the whole thing. So then when it's time to start writing and drawing like the actual pages, I'm doing that. And then, you know, maybe moving some stuff around, you know, ju- you know, just it, it's it's like this kind of like living, you know, document in pro in progress that's just getting more and more refined and more and more in focus and more and more perfect. And then, and then yes, yeah, sometimes you have to throw something out where it's like, OK, that, you know, doesn't quite fit or that's um uh, you know, redundant with something else. And so, but, but yeah, it's like, it's kind of like the, the, at, at the, the end result, the book is smarter than me. Cause it's like the book, like it, it's hard to keep all this stuff in your head in one moment. But if you, you know, spread it out over a couple of years and, and then, you know, you get this, um, you know, this very complete, very full picture that, that you've arrived at by degrees. I think the visual approach to the both the the two volumes is is very uh, smart uh, in that the Jack book is more rugged and more earthy, and you you know you use the crayon layer and you manipulate the the visuals and the the the, the pages are are darker and somewhat weathered and it just it's just a more streetwise depiction of the narrative, but in the stand book. It's glamorized and Hollywood and clean and 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 very the, the line is is very not fixed width but it, it it's a it's a very uncomplicated line. I thought, man, that is a neat way to approach it in that you're you're basically visually describing the identities of these two men through the the method by which you tell the story. It's pretty smart, Tom. That, yeah, it, it just it just made sense like that. I mean, just the basic, um, you know, overall thing of like wanting these books to be customized to these guys and, 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 you know, make them, you know, as, as different as possible. Like, like, you know, again, not like a redundant experience, but yeah, it just, um, like I'd never drawn a comic like this, like this was the, the, the whole style and approach was sort of tailor made to Stan. And it is like, it's like, you know, you need to be on a stage, you know, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm building this stage for Stan Lee and, 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 you know, there's snappy patter and, and jokes and, and, you know, witty kind of like one upmanship, uh, with, with, uh, you know, report and uh, uh, repartee. And it was just like this kind of, you know, this sort of streamlined or sort of open, like airy style, just, it, 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 it like just fit Stan to a T. Yeah. I'm also very grateful for you uh, including the Ditko corner box incident. 
<laughs> I think I think that's one of the things. Um, when I think Marvel, um, immediately I go to Jack, and then I go to Stan, and then I go to the trade dress. And the corner box is one of those monumental things that is just instantly, to me, speaks Marvel. And yep. the, the fact that Ditko did those initially, that that people need to know that because um, you can't have Marvel without the corner boxes, right? That's we. I mean, between the corner box and the banner at the top, the strip, Marvel yeah, Comics yeah. group. That was that that yeah. That was when that was that was my Marvel. That was when I was all in from that point on, and and or at least that's when I got. My foot in the door, and then that's where it took me. So it's still, I mean, every once in a while they try to bring it back, or they'll put it in a circle. They'll, they'll, they'll be, they'll do things every once in a while, but nothing, nothing. That I just, right. If I if I close my eyes or you say Marvel Comics to me, that's those covers. Yeah, are are, are what I think about yeah. the trade dress exactly. And yeah, the, and um, it, it's just amazing how much of us. Uh, because we all know that that the nostalgia feeds or fuels the the comic book industry, and pretty much most of the people still reading comics were reading them back then. Um, look at Eric Larson. For every issue, he does a Marvel yeah, style does, trade yeah. dress. Like you yeah. cannot shake that that Marvel graphic sensibility, and most of a lot of it is because of that brilliant corner box like it was it's so simple when you think about it but it's just it's that is like a the marvel thumbprint boom yeah it's yeah Yeah. losing that and the old dc bullet that's i i just there's just certain things it's like why i mean obviously times change and and tastes change but but still it's just i i also thanks to this book i don't think i was ever really aware that when the Avengers were created, that Jack just wanted his characters, Doctor Strange and Spider-Man are Steve's guys, they don't need to be in my book. And I, that just, I, I don't know why, it, it obviously makes sense, if, and, and, and if, if, if Jack you know, did say that, then sure, but I just, it, it never, it never clicked to me that all these years, th- those first few issues of the Avengers, that yeah, they were all pretty much characters that jack had a hand in at least drawing the cover of or or doing doing a reference sketch or a model sheet that don heck or or wally bill everett or somebody else would take off and 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 run with it it just yeah the avengers were just jack's characters so that that, that's why they were in the book makes sense yeah, just thinking about that corner box, it's, it's hard to imagine that somebody actually had to think of that. Like, it just feels like just so, so obvious and just something that's always there. But yeah, of course, like somebody had to come up with, and the fact that it was Steve Ditko, like that's, 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 that's awesome. And of the three of them, like Steve Ditko was the comics fan. Like uh, Stan wasn't a comic, like, like he didn't, he wasn't like super into comic books when he was a kid, you know, and and Jack, uh, you know, was kind of working in comics right there at the beginning. He wasn't he wasn't like a kid who grew up with comics, but Ditko was. And so Ditko understood like going to the newsstand and like, hey, where's you know, where's my favorite comic? Like, like he kind of had like the consumer view of things of like, hey, it would be really cool if you could like just at a glance be able to spot your favorite comic. 
Yeah, it was very smart. Uh, yep. I, I had a question on the tip of my tongue, but you may just have answered it. Um, so the just say these books are are just flying off the shelves. They're doing very well, which I mean, yeah, it's going to happen, right? Um, so ten speeds, like Tom, you know, we need another one. Who's the subject? I was thinking yeah. that too. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's I mean, Ditko is the one everybody's kind of like like that, like. The, the I think that's expected. Spoken, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's. I mean, I yeah. A Ditko book would be interesting. I I wonder, like, going from a Jack Kirby book to a Stan book is kind of an easier sell because it's like, I mean, I like the idea of highlighting somebody that's more obscure. Like, not to say that Ditko's obscure, but just in you know, sort of you know, just ask somebody on the street, you know, who, you know, going from Stan Lee to Steve Ditko, it's like. Um, you know, uh, like, like more obscure. So like, I don't know who you would, you would pick that would be, you know, more like more of, or, or as like easy a sell as Stan, but yeah, Ditko would be a perfect companion piece to, to this. Oh, I, I, I have been like for a while, like kind of thinking about doing like an auto bender, uh, book, like, again, like choosing, cause like, I think it would be really cool to choose somebody who is, you know, known to comics people, but like is, you know, is not known like at all to, to, you know, but again, like that. So yeah, I don't really know, uh, like who you follow it up with, but, but Ditko is a, is a natural one. Right. I was hoping you would say Wally Wood, but. Wally that... Wood's great. I'm such a Wally Wood fan. Right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and man, you know, like, you know, what an ending, uh, Right. You know, it's, uh, yeah, Wallywood is, is good. There's so, I mean, name a guy, like, like, you know, you, you can name pretty much anybody and, you know, like Bill Everett, you know, like there's, uh, and, and it is like, again, this, you know, doing Stan's life and doing Jack's life, it's just so amazing. Like, it's kind of like, um, uh, once upon a time in America or something <laughs> where like, you know, you start off with somebody in, you know, like, like the thirties or the forties or something. And then, you know, you, you dissolve to, you know, somebody in the eighties, like it's, it's so like just seeing somebody live through the 20th century and just, and being able to like, see that, you know, I just, just sitting there reading a book, just, it blows my mind. Like, it, you know, um, just like, you know, when, when Stan started doing all that, like, early dot-com stuff just like hearing stan lee talk about the internet just felt so <laughs> weird because it's like you're not yeah. supposed to know about that like you're supposed to you know talk about things being sort of swinging and hey pussycat and like you're supposed to you know be like austin powers or something like like you're not supposed <laughs> to be talking about the internet the man uh if anything was forward thinking I'll, I'll give him that but you you have another book that that recently came out that i need to talk to you about it uh, came out of Image Comics. It's called Jack Kirby's Star Warriors, starring Adam Starr and the Solar Legion. And uh, what this is, is uh, when Jack was 22, he did a uh, trio of stories for the first three issues of uh, Crash Comics. And what Tom has done has, um, well, he's done the impossible, in my mind, because he actually made Jack Kirby better. <laughs> because uh, uh, I, and if you go to our website, uh, 11 o'clockcomics.com, click on the link 
for this episode, you will see a side-by-side -side comparison of one of Jack's original pages for the Adam Star stuff and Tom's, uh, quote, remixed. But remixed means you redrew all this stuff, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I closer to re-inked. Okay. But, but yeah, I, I kind of took Jack's uh, panels and I just kind of moved them around, expanded some, you know, shrunk some, and and you know, moved them like where I wanted them to, be, where where I thought would make, you know, a, like a more natural, more enjoyable reading experience, and then and then yeah, just go in there and like, uh, you know, redraw them, yeah. Well, I, I think it was, like I said, an impossible task. How does one make Jack Kirby better? But but you've done it because the the coloring employed on the original stories is absolutely crazy. It, it's, <laughs> it's impressionistic. It's all over the place. It's unpredictable. It's, it's weird. It's just plain weird. So the, your decision to, to present it in a monochromatic way, I think lends amazing clarity to the stories and you, like we said you went in and just re-inked or reworked jack's um marks but in doing so i think uh, you slightly tightened it up a bit you made the visuals more you opened up the story by enlarging some panels and 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 just placing them in a more organic way a more uh, reader friendly way because i think the jack's version i don't even know if i want to say this but it's it's kind of cramped and a little tight but the way you opened it up it just makes the reading experience so much better and um i, I messaged tom on instagram and i was like tom there's one of the things that always bugged me about these stories is there's one sequence um it's this arthak hidden base um, sequence where Jack actually went backwards in the narrative. At the bottom of the page, it's actually half the page, he has an L-shaped panel, but um, he directs the reader to the left at the end of that panel, which is just strange and odd and not the way we read. We read right to left, right? Or, sorry, left to right. But Jack push the reader to the left at the end of this page. I'm like, wait a minute. That always felt clunky and just plain weird to me. Um, what Tom did, genius that he is, he flipped the sequence. Not just that panel, those two panels, but a couple panels before it too, where it reads so much better now. And, and you're actually reading the way we were taught to read left to right. And I, I had to tell him, I said, Tom, I didn't think it was possible, but you improved on the King. You, you, you made him better. Thanks Vince. You, you can, you can maybe improve on like 22 year old Kirby, but you know, once he's, once right. he's really cooking it, then, then, you know, it's a different story. But well, yeah, I mean, he was like, this was one of his first comic book comics. So, he had done like a ton of comic strips prior to this and he could, I mean, he, he was just an amazing draftsman Yeah, just from so early from day one uh, and, and a really great writer too. And so, and so he had all that going for like, just, just amazing writer, amazing artist. Um, he just hadn't quite cracked the code of comic books yet. So, you know, he's just it, like the, the, the panel placement and things like that, which, 
he would you know very quickly learn and figure out and, and master um, and, and reinvent. Um, you know, he, he just hadn't figured. So they're kind of arbitrarily stacked and stuff. And, and yeah, like when you sit down and read, like, I mean, those those original stories, they they, they have a ton of charm. You know, they're 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 quaint. They're fun. And, but um, just as like, yeah, comics reading experience, you're kind of your your eye is zigzagging all over. Some of the panels are like super small. And, and it just um, yeah, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't fulfill its potential, you know, like and, exactly. and I was looking at this and, and I was like, this is, this is an amazing story. Like if you just take each individual panel uh, on its own merits and, and the work, the, the writing is, is incredible. And this is Jack writing. Um, it's, it, it's just, it, it wasn't served by the format. So I thought, man, if you just kind of take this thing and, and do a little bit of this and that, you, you you have a Kirby classic like like now it's something you could put next to like his greatest work where before it was just kind of a, like a, a fun interesting historical oddity. I totally agree with you. It, without your hands, it's I think it's a footnote. It, it's a great footnote and and it's wonderful to look at and it's Jack. So there's no bad right. But I, I see this book, your version of of. Uh, the Star Warriors, as before you came into the picture, it was a grimy windshield with all, you know, speckles. You can't really see through it. You came along with the Windex, my friend, and you squeegee that sucker into this beautiful thing that we have today. And it, you're right. It's awesome. I, I'm, I was reading it and I was like, holy, you can see future Jack in these pages yeah. that, that, um, the hairy worm thing, that's Mordecacus from Commandy. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't have the cellular structure of it, but you look at it and it just all the the hairy tendrils coming out of it. It makes me think Mordecacus, and it's like dang, Jack was on the the fire of creation within Jack is unlike anyone before or since. Like this guy was just, I I think he has alien DNA to be honest, but you know <laughs> we won't go there. Um, and I, I, just, I think Roz thought that too. Like she had said things about like you know oh, when when are the UFOs going to come <laughs> and take you away? Well, I mean, you look at Jack was intensely fascinated by the face on Mars. Who, aside from Eric von Daniken back in the day, even knew about that thing? And Jack had inserted it into his stories. Like what? Where are you from, Kurtzberg? And I want to start eating the same stuff you do because Jack was on it like from the very beginning. But um, yes, so thank you for doing this. You've made this um, what was, uh, I think, a very quaint and and interesting story. You've made it, you've elevated it to the the point where it should be uh, alongside Jack's, you know, not most love stuff, but up there with the things you should really read if you're a Kirby fan. Yeah, thanks. I mean, yeah, that was, it, 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 it's, kind of part of the canon now and um and the thing it, it really came out in the research for the i am stand book that kind of made me want to do this because i was just i was looking at everything stan you know either oversaw or or wrote or you know whatever came through his editorial office i tried to look at as much of it as possible and i was looking at this captain daring story that uh it was um you know joe simon and jack kirby and it had like the um the the dog cavalry from apocalypse uh, in it. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I didn't realize 
like Jack was doing that thing, you know, like decades before New Gods and stuff. And and it's actually it's a little more badass because they're riding around on these on the backs of these giant dogs that have like knives sticking out of the front of them. So it's <laughs> it's you know really cool. So I was looking at that, and so then I was like, I gotta find out more about this thing. And then I was you know reading about it, and and, and that it was um, the theory is that this Captain Daring story was like a repurposed, unused solar legion story like that it had started out that way and then they uh you know jack and joe kind of turned it into something else um and so then that kind of you know led me back to solar legion and again i had read solar legion a bunch of times in the past and just you know didn't 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 stand stand out to me or anything but like through that lens of like okay jack's doing dog cavalries and stuff and then looking at solar legion again and it's like wow there is it's like you know the child is the father to the man or whatever like their 22 year old jack also has you know 44 year old and 50 year old jack inside of him like that like it, it had you know like amazing aliens and robots and it also had like in the writing and stuff it, it had like the jack kirby kind of like poetry right. and world weariness and and almost kind of like a nihilism too like the um like adam Starr doesn't take prisoners like he will he will nuke your planet yes (laughs) so what was the uh behind the scenes story like um how did this end up at image i mean i was it was just kind of something i was working on on the side just um just for my own curiosity like and exactly what you're talking about of like man what would this story look like if I just did this, this, and, you know, and, and wanting to see what that was. So I was just kind of toying with it. And as it was developing, I was like, you know what, this, you know, this could actually be something like, like maybe, and, and I thought of image, like, cause I thought of that just what, um, you know, how, like what Kirby fans they are and like the role Kirby had to play in the early days of image. And, and, and then thinking of like the next issue project and stuff that, that, that I had worked on a little bit with, with Eric Larson's, I thought like image, if anybody's going to get this, if anybody's going to understand what I'm doing here, it's, it's going to be image and stuff. And so I, I, you know, got, I emailed them and then that same day they, they said, yeah, let's do it. And which, which is compl- like, that's never happened to me with anybody, like getting a project approved the same day was, is just, I, I've never, I've never had it happen. I hope it happens again sometime. Seriously. Yeah. So you had it all completed when you sent it to them? When I sent it to them, I was probably like halfway through it. Okay. You know. Yeah. Well, I, it's essential reading, and um, it it came completely out of the blue. Like when it was solicited, I was like, "What is this? Where did this come from?" And I was so happy to see, you know, Tom Scholey back at Image. I mean, doing the things he loves to do. It was just a really pleasant surprise, and I was, you know, telling everybody at the shop, "You need to get this." Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Coming back to Image was interesting too, and also like it does. I mean, even though it is, it's a it's a Jack Kirby work. Um, it does kind of, uh, you know, it has a lot in common with Godland too. Like it, it 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 has a lot in common with with like my stuff too. Right. Yeah. So aside from the 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 Stan book and the Adam Star stuff, like, do you have time to to read uh, comics? Oh sure. What, yeah, what's been floating? Especially now, yeah. What's been floating your boat? Well, I, I've been, um, I mean, I've been doing like, uh, like I have a YouTube channel and I've been reviewing right. 
different comics on it and stuff. And so, and again, it was kind of, part of it is kind of just a way to give me an excuse to read more, more comics than I, than I do, you know? Um, and so I've been reading my way through all the new gods stuff, uh, and all the ancillary series to that. And I've been reading my way through all the Thor stuff, you know, starting with, you know, that first Thor appearance and journey into mystery and stuff. So I've been reading a lot of that. Um, Micronauts. Yeah. Micronauts. Yeah. I'm reading my way through the Micronauts. So like that, that's been like my, my main, my main stuff. And then, yeah, I, again, I'm always making trips to the comic store and I always, you know, come back with like way more stuff that I could read. And if I just read like a fraction of it, then, um, then I, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. I, um, I think this was something was like a recommendation on cartoonist kayfabe or something, but it was, um, the, uh, it was the Galacy Terminator mini series. So I just picked that up and I'm working my way through that. And that's, that's pretty sweet. I love Paul stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big Galacy fan too. I mean, especially like the master of Kung Fu. Oh yeah. Like Galacy on newsprint is just amazing. He has that uh, beautiful um, chiaroscuro style that lends itself so well to to newsprint. Real, real mm-hmm. heavy blacks. Yeah, love it. Yep. Well, I I, I specifically asked you that question because I wanted you to tell them where they can go on YouTube to see you. Okay. Yeah, it's the Total Recall show. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, some uh, it's um, you know sort of pop culture, uh, uh, a lot of like movie criticism and 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 that kind of stuff but then also peppered in there are some you know straight on comic book reviews and and commentary it's a neat potpourri you never know what you're going to get which I, I appreciate i like that i mean yeah that kind of fits my my personality right right kind of like what, what am i in the mood to talk about so I've, I've also been doing like going through like just first issues or first appearances of like random stuff so you know, Hawk, Golden Age Hawkman and stuff like that. And it's, and again, some of this stuff I've never read before. Like I never read the first appearance of Hawkman before. So it's, it's kind of cool, like checking this stuff out. It's amazing how much we've consumed, but there's always things out there that'll shock and surprise us. Um, I forget what book it was, but um, I was going through, you know, a stack and a book by Russ Heath came up. And I was like, I forgot what a monster Russ, Russ Heath was, or is. He's still yeah, alive, I right? I, I, you know, I think so. I, I love Russ Heath as well. Like he, oh my god! Like, and, and you know, there's, there's just, there's some people like that, you know, and and you know, Kirby's definitely one of them. There's like some people where their name on something is just a guarantee of quality, right? Like you, you can't go wrong with a Russ Heath, and so he has that. Um, Son of Satan issue that he did that's just incredible and then um, you know whenever he shows up in like a Sergeant Rock or you know some kind of random war story and, and um, the great G.I. Joe issue like I, I think he did like two G.I. Joe issues but there's like a, like an early one that he did that's just exquisite and, and I, right. I liked his um, adaptation of uh, that Hugo Danner um 
what's that the the sort of like the inspiration for superman um Ooh, I haven't. The name of it. I haven't seen that. That pulp. There's like the this, that pulp character. Um. Oh, the, the name's escaping me. Doc Savage. Not Doc Savage. Not Doc Savage. It was um that uh. And what was now you're going to send me on a hunt. I uh, know. Uh, he passed yeah, away it, in 2018, by the way. Oh, oh okay. damn. Okay. But I remember what it was. I was I was going through um the uh, eerie archives. Because I wanted to check uh, a fact on um, Richard Corbin. And uh, as I'm thumbing through the volumes searching for the, the Corbin story, Russ Heath did a good amount of work for Warren Comics. And because it was non-code, he could get away with a lot more than you know the four-color stuff. And whenever uh, and you saw some of it um, later on in the DC when, when I think there was a, a Russ Heath uh, Shadow of the Bat story where he he really went in hard on Catwoman, if you know what I mean. But um, the Warren stuff, the ladies, Russ Heath's ladies are gorgeous. And like I said, it was Warren, so he got to show a little bit more skin than in the four-color stuff. And it was like, oh, man, that's when it, it, it just hit me in the back of the head. Like, wow, why am I not investigating more Russ Heath stuff? Because the work is just amazing. The one I was trying to think of, it was Philip Wiley's Gladiator. Oh, okay. He did, he did like a comics adaptation of that. I forget who wrote it, but really nice. Stuff. Like later, this was something he did in the 90s. Right. He's so much out there. Um, what else would have we been reading? Let's talk it up. Why not? I can tell you what I'm reading if you guys are just not going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you can you can do that. I just but there's one thing there's one thing I wanted to ask um, Tom oh, about. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, um, just you know, Ten Speed. This is your second book with them, obviously. But but I didn't really know them at least in terms of of as as a graphic novel imprint until uh, your Kirby book. So how did you hook up with them? And you know, what's the experience been like? It sounds like I mean, you obviously went back to the well. You've been working with them for three plus years now so i'm just curious should we expect like a bigger push from them into the graphic novel world do you think yeah and that's kind of like that's happening right now because yeah when i when i started with them i think they might have done one or two graphic novels like like like, they've done you know i i don't think i was the first graphic novel that they did you know they um uh, but they, I mean, they've been around for a long time. It's just kind of, you know, the graphic novel yeah. was relatively recent. But um, now they've like created an entire like graphic novel wing. So they're, um, you know, going full bore in, into it. So, so yeah, there's there's going to be more stuff from them. Okay, excellent. Neat. Hopefully. So now, Vince, you, you can speak on what you're reading. Well, you're going to groan. When I say, oh, I am, yeah, 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 you're gonna grow, but I, I really don't care because I think these these comics are amazing. Um, I got caught up on Wolverine. Tom, are you reading Wolverine? I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I I heard there's what like Predator versus Wolverine or something. Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not messing with that. No, no, no. Um, This series is written by Benjamin Percy, but it's illustrated by Juan Jose Rip crazy intense illustration just 
hyper detailed lines all over the place i don't know how he he completes an issue in a month but uh he must be quick it is just ridiculously uh it's like whenever you take a hit of something and it gives you amazing clarity and you see things that aren't there in the waking world like that's what looking at rip to me uh i can compare it to it's just amazingly dense but uh the the story like i i'm i like wolverine but for me to read a wolverine monthly it's got to be either it's got to be both extremely well written and illustrated and a little bit on the weird side like i like my wolverine weird and that's what this is uh jason isn't a fan because they're trying to to demonize the beast they're they're slowly trying to turn him to the dark beast from age of apocalypse and uh, what's going on here? I'm not going to recount the whole thing. I just basically want to talk about the the most recent issue, which is issue 37. But uh, in terms of story, the Beast killed Logan, cut his head off. And uh, because of Logan's healing factor, that's really not an issue. He's going to revive. And when he does revive, the Beast fits him with this collar that... Um, brings out the the anim- the more animalistic side of Wolverine and he just points him in the direction of all these anti-mutant uh entities. He he basically he's basically an assassin. He's going around killing people in their sleep. Um so because Beast has an agenda, you know. So the Beast clones himself into uh uh, uh a group of blue lackeys basically uh in order to increase his brain power but they're subservient or at least he thinks they are and uh they eventually make the bad decision to turn on him and they're slaughtered but uh he also clones wolverine <laughs> and creates the weapons of x where the, the uh um they're basically his strike force so things go south and, um, you know, the jig is up, the beast escapes, but most of the Wolverine clones are killed, except for three. Three of them get away. So Wolverine embarks on a, a, a course of, of action to eliminate the alternate versions of himself. Makes sense, right? This is where I, this was a holy shit moment in issue 37. One of them, as you would expect, heads up to Canada because they are clones of him so they they do have the, the somewhat uh they're they're not as articulate and their brains are not as highly advanced as as Logan's they're they're somewhere in the 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 genetic process where they've they've developed but they don't have all of Wolverine's brain power but they do retain aspects of his personality like one of them is is very animalistic one of them is extremely compassionate um and so on but so one of them as you would expect goes to canada right ends up at the Howlett estate but it does the unthinkable it consumes human flesh now what happens when you consume human flesh in canada wendigo he, the clone turns into a wolverine wendigo that's insane. It's a Wendigo with Wolverine's claws. Like, shut up. How 
inventive is that? That is just that made my freaking day. I call it the Wolverine to go. That's TM me. <laughs> um, and the uh, the the Wolverine to go rips Logan in half in graphic detail over its head, pulls Wolverine apart, and who saves the day? But Bruce Banner as the Hulk. Because if you're reading the, the, the new Hulk book, Banner's on a quest to, to squash out the monsters as well. What That's what the Wendigo is. So it just makes logical sense that Banner would be there. Uh, so, so Banner helps him. Then there's another clone that heads to Japan and gets in the clutches of this ghost sect that um, they use the clone's blood to bestow this warped semblance of extended life. I don't know. Maybe Wolverine's healing power is somehow transferred in his blood. Uh, but this one is compassionate, where the other one was bestial. And the last one, where do you think the last one ends up, Jason? Um... Not a reach. It's Wolverine. What was one of the high points in the Wolverine canon from the Madripoor. past yes yes the last one heads on over to madripoor yes. and, and he's the muscle at the lucky tiger casino like there's that. there's a solemn returns there's a muramasa blade in it like this is playing to the my heartstrings and it's just i think percy is awesome on this book it's just so much fun uh i, I really can't get enough of it yeah it sounds like i'm gonna like this issue I mean, I, I, it's because it's the postscript to the beast stuff. So it is, yeah. but the, I mean, spoiler, beast gets away. So of course, of course, yeah. I mean, he created an international incident. He, he, he extricated the point from Krakoa. So now it's this giant skull-headed kaiju that's ripping apart submarines. So like, the the military's not pleased with with the beast. You know the. Uh, the government's not, so now the beast is persona non grata. They know that he was responsible for this. So this is just another couple steps down that road for the beast to become a true villain. And I th I think this is how I like to see him. I know you don't agree, but um, I think we're going to have nothing but villain beast in our future, if this series is any indication. I mean, how do you how how are you redeemed from this? You you killed. You well, I mean, I I I I agree with. But I agree with your first part. I disagree with your second meaning. I do think the plan for a while is to make Beast a villain. I, but in terms of how do you redeem him? I mean, Magneto. I mean, you know, Apocalypse. These are all benevolent parts of the current Marvel X Men, right? And they're right. The ultimate. So, but you need so if, a, they, if they if they wanted Beast to become benevolent again, they could do it. But I don't know that that's the plan anytime soon. Right, which is what I'm saying. But yeah. I think you need an architect on the level of of um, uh, my God, am I am I getting old? Hickman, Hickman, <laughs> <laughs> to, to pull it off. Right, yeah. you need somebody that can make a logical, well thought out explanation as to why Apocalypse is not a bastard anymore. I mean, it just makes sense, right? For sure. Um, yeah, and there's there's incidents in the in the series with Black Tom that are hysterical. Like this is a re really good series. If you if you don't read the mutant books, you really don't ha you don't need to know very much other than Wolverine, Healing Factor, Beast, mm -hmm. one time a hero, not so much anymore. It's all you need to know. It's yeah. these go down like candy. I love this series. If they 
publish an omnibus of this, my finger's going to be on the buy button day one. Which the cheap graphic novels. That's right. It, it's just so good. And, and it's a visual smorgasbord. You can look at all these panels and be like, my God, how does this guy do it? Like everything is so beautifully rendered and, and just massively intricate. I love this book. But then, so I will now pull my chair away from the table because Jay still want to hear about Nasty Beast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I will say before we move on, you did mention how you were looking up uh, some Richard Corbett stuff in Erie. Uh-huh. And that reminded me that um, the current Humble Bundle, for those of you that are uh, that, that are not paying close attention, is an Erie Comics Humble Bundle. And it is um, all 27 volumes of the Erie Archives mm. plus Erie plus Erie Presents Hunter plus Erie Presents El Cid um, for to get all of that would be $18 or more. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I can't tell you how much I spent for those. Uh, oh, Erie. no doubt. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of dollars. I, the Humble Bundle is awesome. It's, it almost feels like you're stealing, but you're not. It's all, it's all fair and, and equitable and for 18 bucks, you're literally, if you end up only reading one of these archives five years from now, it was worth it. So, yeah. so do well, it now, get it so you have it, and, uh, and you won't be sorry. Well, the Hunter and the L. Cid stuff is not a bonus because they appear within the archives anyway. So, those so why are, would they separate them out, do you think? Those are just collections because the uh, the, the Hunter stuff Cause, is... Because you just wanted the three-item bundle. Yeah. It, the Hunter's, oh, got it. Hunter was non-sequential. It didn't appear in consecutive issues of Eerie. either. Maybe it jumped one or two. Like the, Yes, it did appear in consecutive issues, but the majority of the Hunter story jumps around. So mm-hmm. it's like maybe issue 48, 52, 53, 61. You know what I mean? So, yeah, they collected them all in one volume, which is easy to read. You don't have to be, you know, opening other volumes. I get it. But so, yes, a bonus, but not really. You get them with the archives as it is. Plus, you get Richard Corbin and Bruce Jones's uh, Time Raft stories, which are incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a trilogy and it's amazing, but I'm gonna shut up now. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. Not you shutting up the the area. Well, the, either way. Either way, indeed. Yeah. Yes, indeed. What else? Let's 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 read. Uh, talk about something we can all collaborate on. Oh. You have anything well, in there? That we all can collaborate on. Jeez. Um. Hmm. Uh. I don't know that we do. Do we? I don't. Uh... I don't think so. I, I don't see think so. David read Uncanny Spider-Man number one, but I don't see it on your list. Uh, I did read it last week. I we talked. I mean, I, right. I, I had read it. Yeah. Tom, um, have you read that? No, I haven't. It, it's Kurt Wagner in a uh, spider oh, spider suit. I, I heard you guys talking about it. Yeah. Oh, nice. On on a, on a previous episode, and yes, I. I I, I only have like my imagined visual of what that looked of like Spider-Man with a tail and pointy ears and <laughs> That's you know, it, yeah. two toes. So much fun. Yeah. I don't know. I may be turning the corner on Marvel. I don't know. We'll see how, how it works. I think you definitely it's are. All you cyclical, up every week. baby. It's, it's, it's definitely, yeah. Between the symbiotes and... You're talking no brainers, the symbiotes. Yeah. That's a massive Wolverine, Wolverine's weekly team up. He's got the Hulk this week. Wendigo's yeah. goes, he's got Ghost Rider last week. It's great. Yeah. 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 Making a good case for it. I want to check it out. 
Nice. Yeah, they're Look just plain. They're, they're it's just fun comics. There's there's no heavy lifting required. Um, they're very well written. Um, in terms of illustration, I think Marvel is going back up the bell curve where previously I think they were sliding down a little bit as a company, not as you know individually on individual books. But it, it seems like uh, yeah, seasonal, right? Things come and they go, and this is the. A time for me, anyway, when when Marvel seems to be doing good stuff. Yeah. There you go. There we go. Um, I've been I've been rereading some things um, in preparation of catching up on finishing them. Um, I reread the first three volumes of uh, four volumes of Headlopper um, because I have been falling I had been falling way behind on Headlopper. Just keep kept buying it and hadn't read it in years. Um, We've covered that many times. It's quite good. Don't need to get into it too much, but it's been fun to to get back into the world of Andrew McLean. Um, and I just reread the first three volumes and plan to read the, reread the whole thing of 20th Century Boys, um, which, of course, is, uh, and I think not just my own, but many people consider one of the better modern manga uh, of all time, uh, Naoki Urasawa. Um, but the new thing that I read uh, that... I definitely wanted to shout out is Sea Serpent's Air, book two, Black Wave. Um, probably two-ish years ago, I talked uh, about Sea Serpent's Air, book one. This is volume two of a three-volume uh, series, a trilogy. Uh, it's written by Marguerite Scott with art by Pablo Tunica. And um, much like the first volume, I adored this. Couldn't wait to get the second volume. Can't wait for the third to come out. This is a um, a fantasy adventure comic set in a world of magic and high seas piracy. Um, the lead character, for those that don't remember the first volume discussion, I don't blame you if you don't, um, is a young woman named Ayala. Her mother is one of the most renowned pirates in this world. Uh, Ayala is imbued with the spirit of this mystical, all-powerful dragon, kind of like a Fane Fang Foom level dragon. Um, and she's imbued with that spirit. And uh, in the course of the first volume, because of, of, of some dastardly doings against her mom and her aunts and her family and, and, and the like, she manifests the, the 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 sea serpent and lays waste to their enemies in like a really dramatic fashion to the point where you realize like this is kind of a pact with the devil like letting loose the serpent is not necessarily a good thing and in fact there's a prophecy with which suggests that she via her being imbued with the sea serpent is going to end up destroying the world and so using her power is very very fraught with with risk and that it could end the world um this picks up right where that first uh volume left off with the aftermath of her using the power and what that means and uh, also trying to come to terms with why she's imbued with the spirit of this dragon what it means can she extricate herself from it uh, all the while, she is seeking revenge against her former good friend who betrayed her and her family that led to all of that happening. We learn much more about the, um, the, the, the chief antagonist or this group, the Church of the First Light, and they profess to be um, on the side of good, again, trying to protect the world from evil. But, of course, that's not really what's going on. And, uh, and she and her crew of pirates slowly but surely try and piece together 
where she fits into this equation and, and, and how to combat them and how inextricably linked they may be. Um, it's just wonderful. It's, it's, if you're a fan of fantasy comics, then you'll certainly enjoy this. It's, it's magic and fantasy and, and pirates all swashbuckling, all rolled into one. And just like with the first volume, to me, the, the, a major draw here is Tunica's art. Um, Tunica is very much in the David Rabin, Paul Pope school, uh, you know, big, exaggerated uh, eyes, expressive eyes, just, just wildly creative cartooning. Love the color play in this book. The color palette's just wonderful. And uh, uh, yeah, I just think it's an absolute home run. Um, one word about this, these books are uh, digest size. They're, um, you know, they're a bit smaller than a comic. They're trade paperback form. They're published through uh, Image Skybound. Uh, they're Comet imprint, which is their all-ages imprint. And uh, they're wonderful. And I can't wait for the third volume, which I assume will be coming out in 2025-ish, I guess. Um, and, you know, we are all huge fans of Tilly Walden, yes. And we all um, think she is... Uh, one of the best uh, around these days, and she loves this book. That's actually what made me pick up the first volume. She gave it a big shout-out on the socials about how much she adored the book. And so uh, so if it's good enough for Tilly, it's damn sure good enough for me. Wow, peer pressure. It, 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 it does work. It works. Before David goes, I have a question for Tom. Yeah. You coming to New York Comic Con? I'm not. Uh, oh. that, that sounds like a lot of fun. But no, I'm, I, I, uh, our, our buddy Dave Wachter is going. Oh, uh, yeah. He, yeah. He's got a, a big whole hug uh, reserved for me. So I'm looking forward to that. It's been a while since we were he, with uh, Dave. Yeah, he, he reminded me that the last time he was at, he attended New York Comic Con was when he tabled with us. At the Bullpen Bulletin's booth. Oh, man. Wait, what? And, That's the last yeah, time that Wachter was at New York at Comic Con? Po- when he was at Podcast Alley, and then he and Pat Loikas spent the night at my house before uh, I took him to the airport on Monday. Holy shit. That's a long time. And That's you know like 2006 who, or seven. yeah. Yeah. You know who was sitting next to us at that strip of, of booths? Gene Colin. Gene Colin. Yep. Because I have really? a... Uh, yep. Yeah. Podcast I, Alley? I have a, I have yeah, I have a Howard because he was there with uh, Heroes Initiative, so uh, yeah, so I have a Howard to Duck in my sketchbook. For yeah, turn to your right. Oh, it's Gene Colan. Life yep. is life is great. <laughs> Wait a second, so I'm confused. So I thought so. EOC didn't exist for the first New York Comic Con. No, no, that's when Marty and I got uh, fired at by the Frank Miller year, with the yeah. Sharpies. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't go the <laughs> huh. very first year. Went the second year, like oh six, and then. But yeah, because because it's weird because I I remember vividly, and I think we talked about it when Stegman was on. How Stegman said, "Oh yeah, I like your podcast," and I was baffled that someone that a creator actually listened to our podcast. And I thought in my mind, see, mind plays tricks. I that was the first New York Comic Con, but yeah, no, no, that Mandala effect. Yeah, yeah, Hmm, interesting. Yes, well, I'll I'll carry a picture of Tom around uh, just so you could be there in spirit. Uh, yeah, nice. uh, we we could uh, FaceTime. <laughs> yeah, and you could point You're your walking phone down the aisle. <laughs> Would you like to talk to Tom? Wait a minute. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, are any of you gentlemen fans of uh, any of the things I mentioned? Have you have any of you read Twentieth Century Boys? Yeah, I, I have. Yeah, yeah. I, and I became a fan of Kurosawa uh, like after watching the Mon Ben TV series that he does. I don't know if you've seen that. No. He like interviews 
other uh, manga cartoonists and kind of uh, he sets up um, these like, you know, robot cameras or whatever to just kind of like film film the, the artist in their studio like over the week. And then the two of them together kind of like look over the footage and, and make comments and interview, you know, ask each other questions. It's it's, it's a great series. Like you, you, nice. can, you can find it on YouTube, but it, it's amazing. Oh, that's cool. The uh, 20th Century Boy. I, I, I haven't read that yet because I wanted to not that it was one or the other, but I have a couple of volumes of. I don't have a complete set of Pluto, and I wanted to finish Pluto before I moved on to something else, so I still gotcha. haven't gotten around to 20th Century Boys. Yeah, Pluto is amazing. Yeah, that may be pricey. That I think some of those are. Um, yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm missing. I'm missing the last couple. I think I might have the first three or four. It's only what, like seven or eight. Yeah, I think there's eight. Seven, right? Yeah. Seven or eight. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just got to yeah, see which eight volumes of Pluto. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's very. There's good no, stuff. There, there's no large collection of it. No, it's it baffles. No. Yeah, right. It just does okay. not make sense. Yeah, we should all get the the eye tattooed from uh, 20th century on our like foreheads. That'd be great. On huh. foreheads. Perfect. You lost me a forehead, but I was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm down. I'm down with a tattoo, but yeah, the forehead might be a little iffy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Orso is an all timer. I mean, obviously, it's he's a beast. Oh, for sure. So true. Uh, the um, there was a little bit of a one-two punch because this is this was from a couple weeks ago actually, but I, I read still reading uh, Tom Taylor's take on the Titans alliteration for Stan, and you have uh, Nicholas Scott on art and uh, Annette Kwok on colors. Still, third issue we're dealing with uh, the Church of Eternity slash. The Church of Blood, um, and Gar. I, I don't. I don't know what's up with Gar in in this book. It's weird, but uh, he. Um, and I didn't know like all my life reading Changeling or Beast Boy or whatever he was called in any given moment. He could turn into one animal, right? Like whether it's an elephant or a cheetah or a monkey or a cat. Like it's an animal. Here he's he's like breaking into. He's going to be the infiltrator. He's going to get into the Church of Eternity so he can kind of open the window so Nightwing can get in. So he he's flying, Gar is flying towards the church as a bat. And then he shapeshifts into a whole swarm of bees. And then he changes into ants and it's and but like so the, but they're all him like when when did he become when did he get the ability to become a massive swarm it's kind of cool though it, it is but it's just it's it, and i'm not saying i wanted to see some big ass bumblebee or some giant ant but i'm like i didn't i didn't realize that this was now a power set but okay so he he breaks into the church disables the uh the camera's Gets uh, it opens the windows tonight. We can get in, so they're all stealth. And and Gar's like, well, why don't? And this is another thing like, I don't understand. Like he's he's like, I think he's like walking around concussed. He he asks Dick like, why don't we just use a boom tube? And 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 Dick is like, bro, we're, like we're trying to be stealth. Like why why would we use a boom tube if we're trying to get in here all on the down low? And because um, it's cool, it is cool, <laughs> but uh, it makes loud noise. 
it go boom, and so yeah. you're kind of giving away your your whole element of surprise. There. I had a boom tube. I would use it all the time. Go to drugstore, <laughs> boom, would. boom tube. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> That's why they know what you're there for. That's right. But uh, Vince Condon again. So you have these. Uh, all, all you have the whole cult out there chanting all for you. There's this big pool of blood down there. There's about to be a sacrifice on the altar, and um, and so Nightwing and Changing Beast Boy comes swooping down. He goes turning into a hawk to an to, to to a gorilla and he's beaten up on the the ringleader in the front. Nightwing saves the woman on the altar, and then a bunch of the acolytes dive into the pool and 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 emerge all covered in blood. And now of course they're they're a little amped up. And uh now now that this is happening, Nightwing calls the rest of the Titans. He's like, Listen, we're we're past the stealth portion of the evening, and, and so the rest of the team can show up. And while he's still raring to go, he's like, okay, let's do this. And they're all like, no, dude, you you die in like 48 hours. Sometime within the next 48 hours, you're going to die. We don't want to put you in a situation where that may be the thing that kills you. And he says, well, you're all about to run into danger, putting your lives on the line, and I'm not I'm not going to sit here and, and stand by. Um, so... The boom tomb shows up and, and everybody comes out. And all of a sudden, here comes Tempest or Garth or Aqualad, whatever you want to call him this week. And he's like, he, he wants to know what his friends are doing attacking the church. And it, it turns out um, Brother Eternity was basically, they they overtook the church from him. And they kind of like chained him up in the basement. Uh, and whether or not it's on the up and up, I don't think it is. And it kind of gives it away. On the last page here, but but Tempest is like, listen, like the the church is good. These are my friends. I don't know what the hell was going on with these with the cultists, but as far as like, you know, everything I know, Brother Eternity is 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 telling me, and he's legit, and uh, and he's like, so you know, you guys can go back to the tower. I'm gonna stay here, and um, turns out that Wally, when he was zipping around the church, he spotted something that didn't seem quite right so he brings it back to titan's tower while the whole fight's going on and then gets back to finish the fight with the team uh brother eternity realizes that the item is missing and he's going to send garth back to titan's tower to um to go reclaim it and uh and how he's going how, how he manipulates uh garth into doing this uh, is is pretty freaky and um, is on the last page of the issue and that's the, I'll leave it there but it's you know it it's it's weird I, I still just again Taylor's a competent writer I've I I, I dig in his Superman I, I have no problem with 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 work Tom does but it's just it's my hang up depending on how the Titans are portrayed and and, and I'm not I'm not really feeling this team still is third issue so i don't know how much longer i, I kind of want to finish this arc to see where we go but uh on the flip side the slightly more nostalgic version of of the og teen titans um world's finest teen titans by by wade and uh Lupacino and belair the third issue of this 
miniseries. Uh, basically, they go to um, Titans Con, and it's uh, it's in Metropolis, and it's you know typical. I, Emanuela's art is is this neat little mashup of um, the Dodsons and Yannick Paquette. It's just there, there's just something about the art that's just it. I the, the the women are extremely attractive. The 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 men are good looking. I just I like the look. But um, there's as as is often the case, uh, you think it's just going to be a typical comic convention or Titans convention, and uh, it's not really the case. Now all of the Titans save one uh, are going. To the convention, you've got Bumblebee, you've got Speedy, Wonder Girl, Aqualad, Kid Flash. The only person who's not going is Robin because uh, the Batman says you're not you're not joining your friends. Actually, Bruce thanks Dick for not joining his friends, and and the Kid's like, yeah, you gave me an order, and Bruce is like, well, nonetheless. So you have uh, he's just like, I need you. You can't. I don't want you at the convention because there's going to be cameras there. The more eyes on you, the more exposed you are. I'm just, I'm, I'm, he's, he's being Batman and, and Robin of course isn't Batman, but he's also a member of this team, leader of this team. And he kind of doesn't want to leave him hanging, but you know, Batman says, so that's what happens. But, um, there are some things that go a little, little haywire. Speedy decides to, play William Tell to some con attendees. Uh, and while he's doing that, Kid Flash swaps around some of the arrows in his quiver. And instead of a fireworks arrow, um, it's an oil slick arrow. And it, like, splashes everybody in in the area. Um, and it's basically just Wally being, being a prankster. Um Big bad shows up, not that big, but but bad guy shows up, wreaks havoc. Um, the Titans are doing what they can do to, to kind of calm everybody down, take this guy out. That's when um, Robin shows up. Uh, Bumblebee is not having it because the dude who shows up is basically like claims he's in love with Bumblebee and and you're going to be mine and and it, it's just he's he's kind of he's really on the weird side, but. Um, when Robin shows up to take him out, Bumblebee steps in to knock him out. Uh, and there's there's someone behind the scenes in the shadows, literally in the shadows, who's uh, who's who's creating his own terror titans and and some of the um, the adversaries that we've seen so far in this limited series. He's basically recruiting them or having them. Join his crew. So we'll see what happens as we reach the climax of the series and um, and have the whole uh, face off. But um, yeah, I just it, it's this is one of those like like Vince is having fun with with Wolverine and and the X books. It, it's uh, if if Wade wants to just keep writing a whole, if they want to give Wade an imprint of World's Finest with a whole bunch of different characters, I'm 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 here for it. I uh, it's 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 the little it's not. Like I said before, it's just it's it's in this limbo in a good way of just like it's not really tied into whatever's going on with DC proper. It's not part of the dawn of DC. It's not part. It's nothing black label. It's just it's Wade 
writing stories, characters that uh, many of us just grew up enjoying in, in a different setting. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with it. So I mean, both both Titans books are they're both good, different, and uh, you, you can take it take whichever one. But yeah, I uh, I'm, I'm all about the world's finest these days. One of the things I, I don't believe I've ever read, and for the life of me, I don't know why no one has ever explored this. Why don't they link Buddy Baker to to Gar? Like, why why wouldn't you do a story where Animal Man somehow is linked to to Changeling? It just makes sense to me, but I don't believe I've ever read anything with these two characters. Because well, is is Buddy a mutant? How did how does he get? How did he? I forgot. Morpho, the morphogenetic field. I don't know if he's a mutant uh, per se, but I mean the red. Like he controls everything in the red, and Gar can Whereas, assume the form of animals. So you would think that these two characters but, would somehow be linked. Yeah. No. Well, I I would a, a team up would definitely be interesting, but but Gar's Gar's life was saved, and the chemicals the the what saved his life gave him the ability to sure but that could easily be manipulated into they didn't they gave, they didn't give him the ability to change into an animal they gave him a, a, the ability to access the morphogenetic field you know I what i mean you. yeah, yeah. so th- there, okay. i think there, there's a story here there is but i can't know, for the life of me ever remember reading anything like that well no, i think I, I mean six degrees of separation i think the closest would be uh from 52 when animal man was like teaming up with starfire close enough but i mean i mean that's i mean yeah it's, it's just titans but it's not like it's but yeah i it's i mean i could think of at least i want to see titan the, teaming up with animal man, i want to see this story i want to see that this would story. be cool thomas yeah what's next for you you did a book on on kirby you did a book on stand you did, you, you made jack early jack better like what do you do now uh, that's a great question and, <laughs> and uh if you have the answer let me know I, I, I mean, i'm always working on a million different things it's just a matter of if it you know becomes a book or not so i mean the, th- the thing i'm really uh leaning into right now that that maybe will become something is um this comic called Witch Man that I'm working on. It's kind of like a golden age superhero kind of thing, uh, like kind of horror hero, like, you know, like a Batman or, you know, the shadow or something. But, um, but you know, he dresses up like a witch Ooh. and fights crime. I like what I'm hearing. <laughs> Are we going to, you going to do um, the more, experimental uh risograph crayon layer stuff or is this going to be more traditional like in in the vein of an actual golden age comic no i mean i'm not looking to you know like do like a big bang comics or like i'm not looking to you know evoke like like a particular look or or mark making of golden age but just that spirit. So it, it'll look like me, like it'll look like, you know, awesome. The same guy who drew, uh, you know, the Jack Kirby book, the Stan Lee book, uh, you know, American barbarian, whatever. Nice. I'm looking forward to it. Get it done tonight so we can have it by the weekend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got two pages. 
<laughs> oh no. Well, you got some work to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for that. All right, anyone else have uh questions for Mr. Sholey before we bring this on home? No, man, just keep up the great work. It's 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 inspired stuff. I hope it's a huge hit. Thanks. Oh, it, yeah. So is it officially out or did we get like early copies or what's up with no, that? No, it's yeah, it's out. It came out um I think last yeah, it came out last week and then Star Warriors came out this week. So yeah. no, it's it's pretty new. Like it's out there, but it's it's pretty new. Well get out there, people, and get it. Amazon, your local comic shop, wherever they, they sell these things, make sure you get there and order <laughs> I am stand, because I don't want to say it made me a convert, but <laughs> I, I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. It, uh, it was a well-balanced portrayal. Yeah, I mean, it's... Vince, if this is going to make you a Stan Lee fan, that's like the highest praise I can think of. Like, we're, like <laughs> don't... we'll have to put that on the Seriously. back Yeah, of no, don't, the don't get carried away. But, it is, uh, uh, yes. It's it's $21.74 at CheapGraphicNovels.com. Not, yeah, you go to our How about that? David, the clear-thinking, level-headed one. <laughs> go to our sponsor That's and order it. <laughs> first and last time, that'll be said. There you go. All right, everybody. Remember, as the good sir just reminded us, this thing has been sponsored by CheapGraphicNovels.com. It's in the name. Omnibus, trade paperbacks, manga, very cheaply acquired. Go there and save. And remember... Email comes in. Thank you for ordering. You reply, oh, I would never never heard about this if it wasn't for 11 o'clock comics. And they will say, hey, guess what? Free shipping next order, my good friend. You can't beat it. Also, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. We have audio, lots of it. You get video, downloads of vintage fanzines, comic book pages, comic book covers. It's a veritable onslaught of four-color goodness every damn day. Changes are in the works. Um, we're going to be retooling it a bit very soon. Uh, we keep saying that, but it's going to happen. And uh, you get to vote, or weigh in at least, on the book of the month. Plus, we have a dedicated Slack channel where everybody communes each and every day. It's a riot, Alice. In your travels, I revisited... A book that is probably one of the most important things in comics I have ever read. In terms of the impact on me, how it shaped my perception of comics, how it influenced my buying habits. Um, Long story short, it was recently published by Dark Horse. It is from Richard Corbin. Had Jack Kirby never lived, Richard Corbin would be my vote for the all-time greatest comic book artist. And it's called Den Neverwhere. I don't want to get too deep into it because I don't think David or Jason has read it. And I don't want to taint their perception of it. But it is basically Richard Corbin utilizing the beauty of his favorite model, Karen Gilbertson, to the utmost potential. Uh, Karen was, uh, I believe she may be still alive, Karen was a very buxom lass. And uh, legend has it that uh, she worked with Bruce Jones's wife 
and Bruce knew that uh, Richard was looking for a model, so he brought her on over to Corbin's studio, and Corbin's jaw hit the floor. And he was uh, very enamored with her. She appears in the... Uh, Bruce Jones and Richard Corbin collaborate on a bunch of stuff. And uh, Gilbertson is a fixture in just the uh, the Corbin depiction of, of female anatomy, let's just say. She was very voluptuous, childbearing hips, uh, tomboy, or Buster Brown, blonde hair. She was gorgeous. And she appears in a lot of Corbin stuff. And Dan is basically um, a nebbish, a skinny old four-eyed kid who finds a schematic in his uncle's uh, his deceased uncle's belongings. He builds the schematic and is taken to another world. But when he lands in another world, he has the physical form of an Adonis with a giant pecker. And so basically, it's Richard Corbin um, visualizing his love for the John Carter of Mars stuff because it's basically the same premise, more or less. And uh, uh, Den's adventures on... Um, in this new world and they're body and they're dirty and they're amazing. Richard was a master of creature and um, creature design. And it's, uh, it's every page is, is an example of why I think Corbin was just a, a master, a maestro of, of comics. And this is great that dark horse is republishing all this stuff because they went away for a while and now they're back. Um, I remember First time I picked up an issue of Heavy Metal with a Den chapter, and I was just like, never the same. It just completely transformed everything. Uh, my tastes, my outlook on comics, my just, the things I would consume. I followed Richard Corbin ever since. Um, yeah, and this you have to have this volume. If you've never read Corbin, well, now's your chance to get in on the ground floor. They did Murky World first, which I don't understand. Uh, mm. This should have been first. But whatever. Uh, it's a wonderfully produced, slick, hardcover volume. It's 30-some uh, bucks, uh, but well worth every penny. Go get it. Uh, Richard Corbin's Den Neverwhere. There's going to be four Den volumes. And uh, yeah. you're going you're gonna to need them all because they're, they're that good. And then yeah. you, you can buy Mutant World and Murky World and Werewolf and all the other stuff that I'm sure is coming down the pike from Dark Horse. Nice little, nice little spot varnish on a dust jacket, but then the image you see inside the box on the jacket is in full size on the hardcover itself. It, yeah. It's, it's a nice package. I, I, um, but yeah, no, I, you said you should have it. I have it right here next to me. I will be digging into it soon. Right. When you read it, know that there's a character in the book called Ard. He's a skeevy little perv. Uh, that character was modeled after Bruce Jones. Hilarious. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> ah. You get to see an albino ape dog creature with a pink dick. I mean, where else are you going to see that? Yeah. <laughs> Too true. Uh, let's see. In your travels... Um, yeah, I didn't get to read a whole lot this week. Um, so I am just going to say I think I know how we might 
I have ideas as to where Big Game by Miller and Laraz is is going, um, because with each issue, it's it's like it can be kind of um, kind of depressing seeing uh, what happens to, to these heroes thanks to Wesley and and his cohorts. But uh, Big Game is just it looks fantastic. Obviously, it's it's drawn by Pepe, but uh, yeah, I. Um, I'm I'm having more fun with it than I think I should be, and I uh, I'm seeing characters revived and 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 brought back and and just the story that that Mark's telling with with the characters that we've talked about this recently and anyway, but uh, just just the characters he's he's had at Image and even when Icon started, um, and and what they're doing now and and what what their characters the characters are doing now and and this whole big crisis event that that that's happening and uh how things changed from the 80s to now it, it's 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 crazy and it's it's it it hurts that it's only a five issue series and i um i just i the last page of the third issue definitely threw me for a loop kind of the cover of the fourth issue, when you turn the page, it's right there. So it kind of doesn't spoil it, but it definitely plays its hand a little bit. Although the cover of the third issue, that image doesn't appear in the issue. So um, the covers can just be pinups for all I care. But as far as what's inside, it's it's a hell of a story. It's knocking me on my ass. And, and um, like I said, I think I know where we're going. But I, I I will not be upset if if uh, if that doesn't happen and it goes in a completely different direction. Uh, I'm I'm sure I'm still going to be entertained because it's still going to look amazing. But yeah, in your travels, it's only three issues so far of a five issue miniseries. Uh, but Mark Miller, Pepe Larraz, the big game. Got to respect that recommendation. <laughs> love love that. Uh, a decade ago, this phenomenal creator graced us with this story, and uh, I don't know why it, it it's I don't know why they repackaged it now, but I'm not mad at it um, because I'm glad to have it in this form, and that is Godzilla by James Stoko, the deluxe not damn edition. time. It's been ten years already. Holy shit! Yeah, ten years. Uh, yeah, the the five issue miniseries Godzilla Half Century War was published back in 2012. I think it ended in January or February of 2013. And um, for, as I said, I don't know why IDW decided to do it now, but I'm glad that they did. They gave us a beautiful hardcover collection of the five issues, along with Stoko's issue of Godzilla in Hell. Um, And again, I, I, I don't know that, like, putting that issue in here made all that much sense, other than the fact that it's another Godzilla book drawn by Stoko. But either way, the Half Century War is, is phenomenal uh, stuff. And, um, you know, I, I hope I don't have to tell our audience about how great James Stoko is. And this is one of those things of chocolate and peanut butter, right? I mean, Stoko was born to draw a kaiju book. And um, and, and this book is, is just an absolute blast. For those that don't remember it, um, it's called the Half Century War because it chronicles uh, a gentleman by the name of Ota Murakami, who was in the story... Um, on site for the initial um, attack of 
by Godzilla uh, of Tokyo in 1954. And he spends the next 50 years through various and sundry roles in the military and the government in fighting Godzilla and other kaiju uh, for 50 years until it all comes to a glorious head. And uh, everybody's in here. All of Vince's favorites. Um, I think, Vince, there's a – I mean, I, I remember when these pages came for art and I thought, man, I'm like – this is one. There was a double page spread with Adora, and I thought, well, this is this should be on Vince's wall. But, yeah. But uh, you know, Megalon's in there. Mothra, uh, Rodan, obviously Hedora, Batra. Um, there's a issue uh, with 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 Space Godzilla and Mecha Godzilla. Um, it's just great. It's absolutely great, uh, and and I like the undercurrent of having the the human antagonist that that we see going from young baffled you know cadet like what the hell's going on here to grizzled hardened life you know the world like nihilistic old man who's still fighting the fight and um yeah it's just awesome stuff i mean anytime stoko draws something it's worthy of time and attention regardless of what it's about but this is this is one of his certainly better better projects over the years and i'm glad it's in this form it's a it's the speak of spot varnish it's a beautiful spot varnish of of, of godzilla gojira on the cover it's a it's a pink uh, glossy hardcover with white lettering. It's really well done. I mean, IDW always does a great job with their collections, and this is no exception. So check it, check it out if you haven't already. Nice. Two things. You know who else yeah. did an issue of Godzilla in Hell? Uh, Wachter, right? That's right. The yeah, aforementioned yeah. Dave Wachter. And yeah. Dave had a nice bunch of Godzilla issues to his yes. credit as well. Yes. But anyway. Maybe we'll get a companion of this, the... The Godzilla, uh, the, the Dave Wachter Deluxe Edition. Nice. I hope so, because he did really good work on that yep. stuff. But uh, yeah. And number two, there's a delicate balance in Godzilla stories where um, you have to weigh the human element and the kaiju element um, in somewhat equal manner. I think where they fail is when they examine the human element a bit too closely, like in Son of Godzilla and that legendary first picture with with um, uh, Walter White was just too heavy on the human stuff and maybe like eight minutes of Godzilla. Like what? We came for Godzilla. So for sure. I love it when the kaiju is a little bit out of balance and there's more of it than the human element. Um, but yeah, uh, you, you're, you're exactly right. Half Century War is a, is a great, great story. Yes, sir. Tom, what should they be reading? Well, um, uh, Jason, since you mentioned uh, uh, James Stokey's Dra- uh, Godzilla, that's that's kind of the comic that made me want to make a Godzilla comic. And um, on on my Patreon, you can uh, see my um, Godzilla pitch. I I, I drew like a, um, almost an entire Godzilla graphic novel. Uh, as sort of my like Godzilla pitch, it, it ended up getting rejected by Toho. Uh, IDW accepted it, but Toho rejected it. Um, and and also uh, also on my Patreon, you can, you can see a bunch of Witchman stuff. The aforementioned Witchman, um, I, I did a lot of stuff with that. But uh, in your travels, there's a book that I think went under the radar when it came out um, a few years back, and it's it's got that. Um, sort of like young adult graphic novel aesthetic. Um, but 
it um, the, the the concept behind it is really strong, and the execution is really strong. Um, it's called Complete the Quest, uh, the Poisonous Library by Brian McLaughlin, and he, what he does here is he makes this sort of hybrid between graphic novel and um, RPG board game kind of thing. Wow! And it's it's really pretty amazing and and so you can you can play it as a game to like whatever degree you want or you can just sort of read it as a graphic novel and kind of you know look at all the various paths you can take but it's got sort of you know sort of standard kind of like comics pages and then you'll get to a point where you see like a little landscape with multiple paths and then describing the the little uh you know the different like dragons the sand snake and and various creatures that you have to fight and, and, and ways that you might have to get past them. And just really it's like super inventive, super fun to look at. Um, very funny too. There's, you know, a lot of humor in, in some of the like monster designs and things, but, and, and, and it's just like a very richly conceived fantasy world. I mean, obviously cut from that sort of Dungeons and Dragons cloth, but, but also like with some like a ri- very original twists. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, it sort of touches on some of the uh, some of the cliches of the genre, but then also uh, subverts them and, and, and plays around with it. Just I, like I was, I was kind of blown away by it. Like I like I really uh, enjoyed it qu- quite a bit, and I haven't really heard anybody talking about it. So. Um, and, and it kind of you know combines you know two two things. I'm. I'm obsessed with comics and you know sort of like rpg board game you know that that whole world um so definitely worth checking out it's um i i I can't even tell what the publisher is it's um i guess one of these like it's called imprint uh so i i don't know if that that's an imprint of of some other larger publisher or, or that's you know, that's it. But it's from Imprint. It's Complete the Quest, The Poisonous Library, Brian McLaughlin. I think the original title was intended to be This Book is Poisoned, you know, and that would be sort of, you know, part of mm, the, mm-hmm. but but I, I think maybe the, the publisher kind of had, you know, didn't, didn't want to put out a product that said, you know, that it was poisonous. Nice. Yeah, it's available on the Amazons. Yeah, so. guess who just ordered it? This guy right here. This guy right here. Oh, snap. It looks great. It does. Holy crap. How yeah, did I now not... That, now, that's a nice recommendation. Look at that. Yeah, how did I heat. not know about this? Well, it's an all-ages book. I'm not even sure. It doesn't even look like because of the... Pub, I, I don't. I would bet it wasn't even in, in previews. I remember that cover from somewhere. Maybe it was in previews. Could be. But I'm, I'm going for the hardcover. Look at you. Yeah, that's how I roll. Thank Beat you, Tom. Yourself. Yeah, well welcome. done, Tom. Yes. Check Tom, out. Tom, it looks like you have a YouTube video about your Godzilla pitch as well on your YouTube. Channel. I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I think maybe every page of it is in that Godzilla pitch too. So I mean, nice. is in that YouTube video. But yeah, it was. It was just one of those. Like I spent because I, I like I just I love Godzilla, and uh, you know, do, you know, during pandemic and stuff, you know, pencils down and everything. I I kind of. Uh, you know, went deep with it. And, and I'm super proud of it. And, and it's sort of seen the light of day, you know, as a result of, you know, the YouTube videos and stuff. But, but yeah, it was, it was a ton of fun. Nice. 
Yeah, I'll post the link. I'll make sure we'll post the link to this too when we post the episode. Excellent. All right, everybody. We got to thank Tom for being here with us. It was awesome as expected. Yeah, maybe we'll see you at Heroes next next year. Hopefully, maybe we'll be that would be great. I'd love to get back to Heroes, and and it is one of those like planning for cons. It's kind of like you have to plan so far in advance, and it's like oh, I don't know. But then when the show rolls around, it's like oh man, I wish I was going. You know, so you and the Pittsburgh boys, you just hop in a car and go to Pit- Heroes together. That's easy, right? Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, those guys have a lot of gear. They, if you see their setup at shows now, it's uh, you know. Pretty, takes up a lot of space so i don't know if there's room for me oh damn car, you got you got you got ousted for 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 podcasting gear <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah that's not right that's not right no i'll find i'll find my way there somehow all right nice. nice all right everybody you know the drill go to your comic shops buy some stuff read them talk about them love them and then come to the facebook page and and talk to them about them with us and uh, we're always there too well most of us are there to experience it. And uh, in the meantime, you know what we're going to say. Say goodnight. What's his name? David. Jimmy? David Diggs. (laughs) Fred? No, it's David. Fred Durst. Nah. (laughs) Fred Durst is the worst. Chocolate chocolate starfish. It's so fitting that his name rhymes with worst. <laughs> Never got into that. What? The what was it? Uh, Limp Biscuit. Just not not a fan. Even in their. Heyday. I gotta admit, as much as I never, I don't think I ever listened to a corn song, at least willingly or knowingly. I definitely had a small phase where I listened to a little Limp Biscuit. <laughs> I can't lie. I th- yeah, I think we're done. <laughs> I think we're done. I mean, again, it was a small window, but I was of a certain age. You know, it just yeah. What happened to Dap? Where is he? I don't know. I'm waiting for him to say uh, goodnight, David. He's on. I, that was weird. No, I, 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 I did it, Jason, and I, I hit mute. Oh, do I? I got to do it again then. So, no, 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 no. I heard it. I heard it. I got the. We're, 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 we're good. No, I, I thought I'd said it, and and no, that's oh, okay. So it, it. Good night, Captain Kronos had the time dial all wound up, so he yeah, no the, doubt. He's got the exact second. He's do 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 and. No, but I thought it was because I choked when David when he um, when he had said Fred Durst. I threw up my mouth a little bit when I started the good night, but obviously <laughs> nobody heard that. Nice, I was on mute. But yeah, no, we're good. That's fucked. Up. Always tastes better the second time. I think it depends. <laughs> yeah, and this is the last episode of the month. We got we got uh, an episode on the fourth, and then. Then we'll have our, our we'll be live. We'll have a live episode on the eleventh. And to clarify, that just means we're all in the same room. It'll still be released afterwards. Oh, sure, sure. But yes, but yeah, yes. we'll be we'll be live together in the same room. But you won't be hearing it live, unfortunately. Right not there yet. We'll get to see Jason roll his eyes whenever we say something, but yes. you won't be able to see it. Right. Yeah. Unless one of us records that. Yeah. <laughs> Tell Tom how much you love him and the listeners. Love him tons. Tons. It's really, yeah, it's genuinely great to have him back. Hopefully it won't be as long between visits this time. Truth. Yeah, yeah, let's let's make that happen, yeah. I'll have you back on the John Romita book. <laughs> there you go. Dude, if you do Busama <laughs> book, shit, I'll, I'll give you a forward for it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, John Romita, that's like, 
a pure face. Like that is like there's no controversy there. Like everybody's true. coming out of that book uh, in love with John Romita. You know, just yeah, that's such true. a great guy. Yeah, there are. I mean, and like yeah, Archie Goodwin too. I don't, there aren't too many mm-hmm. comic pros where you know somebody is just like legitimate. Everybody says are all like Ringo like everybody's in agreement but like they, they, these three dudes are like the legitimately yeah. the sweetest guys in comics no you're right yep. yeah it's not like James Warren <laughs> or John Byrne that'd be an interesting one Byrne yeah 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 con- controversial for sure. yes yeah yeah I mean as as a, as a fan as somebody who who read most of his comics growing up that is definitely a book I would read. It may not change my opinion of the man that I acquired later years, but it would still be because at least obviously I wasn't alive for the beginnings of, of Stan's or even Jack's beginnings, but uh, someone like Byrne, I, I started reading shortly after he became a mainstream professional and and so a lot of that i would remember i'd be able to recall as i'm reading it not unlike tom's two books yeah i can imagine the jim shooter book would move about six copies i was thinking about that <laughs> when when i was when this morning when i was like okay we're gonna have tom on tonight and i'm like i wonder what could be next and i says well shooter would be interesting because like he started writing like before he was 16 he was sending in some submissions to dc and 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 then of course the whole secret wars thing and i can only imagine how many pages would be devoted to what he did at marvel and and his his nine or so years as editor i'm just like but yeah it it shooter would be interesting yep yeah it, it, yeah and it has that great kind of start of like you know this kid you know uh getting get work at the you know like it, it's just such a fun story you know like in the beginning and then you sort of it gets complicated as it goes on yeah you can have fun with valiant and then go down to to define broadway yeah that would be wow yeah it would be fun but not profitable no no definitely not yeah. that's it for that one <laughs>